Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. I'm Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Come on, on today's show, we are going to be joined by Jordan Foote, NFL draft analyst, Chiefs writer, NBA insider as well for Sports Illustrated and 48minutes.com as well. We'll be talking plenty of draft and Chiefs and NBA playoffs and all that and more. Jordan joins us coming up later on in the show, making his Jones Report's debut. And we'll also have Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, and our Tom Fullery story of the week as well at the end of the show. Thomas Bridges is here with me, as always. Tom, I got to tell you, on the other show that is also part of our podcast network here, Let's go racing with uh, NASCAR driver David Starr. We had Mario Andretti on this week. I certainly encourage the folks out there to go check that out if they can. But that got me thinking, Tom, we're entering year 10 of this show. And that was like one of the first big guests we had on this show was Mario Andretti. So talk about coming full circle. That was cool to have him on uh, Let's Go Racing this week, too. Yeah, I mean, he's I remember when we first started and you told me he was coming on, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, it was just – I was just like, holy shit, we got Mario Andretti. Uh, and, you know, since then we've had – and not to take anything away from Mario Andretti, obviously, but we've had some pretty cool people on since then. Um, but I feel like that was, like, the, really the first one that I was like, wow. Right. Yeah, that was cool. And this chat with Mauro Andretti, this is one of the things that I think that I enjoy about doing the two different shows from each other, that of how, you know, different they are, is that, you know, this chat with Mauro Andretti, we went, Tom, for an hour and a half with Mauro Andretti this week on Let's Go Racing. And, you know, we, we got to know him and such, talk about his background, but also get his thoughts on – just the, the world of auto racing right now and talk NASCAR and IndyCar and look at Indy 500 and stuff like that. This show is unique in its own right that we spend 30 minutes with a guest, but that was cool. That was different than any conversation I've had with him previously. You know, we, I've had him on, you know, the Jones Report a couple of times. We talked for a half hour or so. That was great, but that was so cool to, to have a 90-minute session with him. Uh, I, I would highly encourage the folks to check that out, even if you're not a racing fan. I think you can enjoy uh, hearing that. The, the fact that he gave us that much time, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a, a pretty wise guy. Obviously, he's got a lot of experience, not just in racing, but in life. So I'm, I'm sure it's probably top quality, you know, for this week. It's never a bad idea to, to have Mario Andretti on, of all people. So I'm, I'm sure whatever he, you know, was about, you know, gave you guys is probably top, top tier quality. I love the Italian accent that he brings to. I mean, if you want to talk about Tom. That's elite. just an added bonus right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's born in Italy, but, you know, grew up in the States. Um, but if you want to talk about, like, elite accents out there, Tom, we could, like, power rank accents. I think an Italian accent especially Mauro Andretti's, that might be number one on, on the unique accents that I enjoy listening to. I get to listen to Mario talk all day. Oh, yeah, and, and I'll definitely listen in, you know, this week, check it out, and, and probably binge the whole 90 minutes. 
I don't know if I, yeah, I told you, but not on the show, going to Italy in, uh, in February. So maybe we'll have to have him on again. Maybe I'll have to talk to him and have him give me some pointers on where to go and where to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe so. And uh, that'll be close to uh, Daytona and all that, too. So that might be a good time. That was the other thing that was unique about bringing him on uh, that show is that we're kicking off the month of May. And in the racing world, this is such a big month with the Indianapolis 500 coming up in a few weeks. You got the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, Monaco is uh, on its way as well. They're an F1. And uh, this weekend, NASCAR is running at Darlington, doing their throwback weekend and such. So much going on in the month of May. You got the Indianapolis Grand Prix and such. Uh, I mean, it's special time. So I couldn't think of a better way to kick off this month, uh, fire up the engines of the month of May than having Mario Andretti on. It got me thinking, though, and I wish I would have brought this up to Mario, but I may already know his answer just based on what he does anyway. But of those, like, May racing events, if you had to choose one, which would you choose? I would think for Mario, it would be the Indy 500 because he's there every year driving his two-seater and putting laps in. That was the other thing that shocked me. I, I didn't know this in detail, was he said in this interview, Tom, that of the two weeks leading up to the Indy 500, when the cars aren't on track for practice, during the day, he's putting in laps in, his, in the two-seater open wheel every single day at 81 years old. Unbelievable. <laughs> just, just that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish, I hope at that, at, at 81, I hope I'm in the same position. Maybe not racing cars, but doing something I love consistently. And honestly, let's be honest, he's probably still doing it at a high level. He could probably, he could probably give the young guns a go, I'm sure still. Right. Probably so. I'm sure he could. I bet he would try if he, you know, he's probably a little bit more wise. And said, well, I probably shouldn't do it, but I bet you if they'd let him run, he would try. I would love to get in that two-seater to be the passenger. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? That would be – that's the next experience. I mean, that should be like a, an able-to-buy experience. If he, I mean, obviously, he's loaded. He doesn't need to make any more money. But if he wanted to, that would be – for racing fans you know that would be an experience people would pay for for sure oh yeah yeah i think so um but as far as the best event of may the one you'd want to go to i think for mario's it'd be indy um just be, the fact that he's there every year but the one i would want to go to tom if i had to pick any of them for me it'd be monaco i would love to go to the monaco grand prix their uh, F1's big event that they have also on uh, the Sunday before Memorial Day. Uh, we, we've seen all the, the scene, the way it lays out and the way people dress up and, and uh, all the, the money that's thrown out there for that event, how classy it is and such. That would be the one for me. If I could choose any of them in May, I'd go to Monaco first. Yeah, it would be like it's, it's like the racing Kentucky Derby. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the May Kansas race. <laughs> <laughs> I was there and I had a good time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that wouldn't be up on my list. Uh, speaking of which, that was good to be back at uh, Kansas this weekend. Did you uh, eat at Yard House? I did not eat at Yard House. I ate at Hooters, though, across the street. Yeah, I mean, there you go. 
I, I, I was there for the wings, obviously, the food, you know. Yeah, not the, uh, not the views. Um, but I did have a nice time, and it's always good to come home. I know that my home is technically Broken Arrow. Oh. Um, but getting back to Kansas Speedway, when you see those you know, security people you recognize and, and run into familiar faces and know where everything is, I mean, uh, that's cool. And I know that I've been to several different tracks and all sorts of sporting events around the country now, but uh, there's something unique about always uh, coming back to that place. And Kyle Busch ultimately got the win and uh, pulled that That's off. That's the Bushy McBush race. Of yeah, all at that time, it was Kyle Busch winning the Bushy McBush race. He swept the weekend. He won the truck race the day before, and it was his 36th birthday. Pretty decent. It doesn't get any more bushier than that. <laughs> right? And uh, and Kevin Harvick driving the Bush car finished third behind Kyle Bush. That's, I mean, it seems like a setup storyline. Right? What yeah. I mean, what's, what's the next one? Uh, you know, like, is it the, you know, the Harlan McCarlan? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think that there would be a more ridiculous name for a race than when I covered the SpongeBob SquarePants 400, but that race on Sunday, that took the cake, the Bushy McBush race 400. Yeah, that's hard to beat. Uh, that's that we always send you that article that I saw in the magazine, the most ridiculous race names that one belongs on the list. <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean that one that That's one be number one i mean it was funny to see you know the spongebob on the sidewall and things like that 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 was i don't what kind of designs or graphics did they have for the the bushy mcbush well the wall was just the normal white but the logo was the, the Bush light logo with the mountains and said Bushy McBush race 400. And oh my gosh. That was it. Yeah. That was, uh, that was great. I was glad. Was, I was, there, was there Bush there available? Was for a lot of people drinking Bush? Oh yeah. There's always people drinking did Bush. Did you have a Bush at the Bushy Bush? I did not. I did not drink at the track. What I do regret though, Tom, um, I did not, get to the t-shirt stand in time they already sold out of the bushy mcbush shirts i wanted that shirt it would have been great to wear at the bar oh man it would be top tier did they have hats i mean did they do the full thing i would want a hat yeah and they were sold out like on everything oh people knew about it they were like yeah this is something i can wear forever right i might have to like custom order something like that yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you could maybe get them online. I have to remember. Maybe. Like, that race has changed names so many times. I have to have something to remember that one, because I would guess in all likelihood next year it's probably not going to be called the, the Bushy McBush race. Maybe they'll go Natty Light this time. The, uh, the Natties for Patty, 400. On St. Patrick's Day, they'll just change the day of the race. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Uh, have a Patty Gasso as the uh, Grand Marshal? They should. <laughs> they should. <laughs> I'd be a little cold in Kansas in March, I feel like. Yeah. What put, on, put on the snow chains and let's go. Right. But it, it was nice, uh, nice weekend. Got to see the Royals play too. Uh, the Royals, uh, the second game I've been to this year, and they lost, and they bo- lost both games I've been to. So I don't know no how more Royals. <laughs> so nonetheless, good time though. Uh, Royals are in first place at the moment. So uh, if I keep going to more games, though, they might fall out of first place at this rate. Yeah, they might. I mean, I uh, I was thinking about it when you said that. I was thinking, well, what? I think I've only been to of all the home games I've been to the Spurs. They've won every one. Granted, the ones I've seen them play were like versus the Knicks, like the Timberwolves, the Pelicans. Um, I'm trying to think of who else that I've seen them play. The Grizzlies. Um, so nobody super special um but they have beaten okc when i've seen i think i've only been to one spurs game where they lost um and i might i might not go for a while because i might ruin that the way that they're playing now (laughs) keep the streak going yeah you you saw the spurs lose to the thunder in oklahoma city right and then that was the year that they won the championship that was that was the only one. That was my first Spurs game that I saw them play, and they lost to the Thunder, but they won the championship that year. Okay. okay. So maybe it's a good sign. I, maybe they'll make the playing tournament if I decide to go this year somehow. Maybe. And, uh, uh, maybe maybe they'll make a run maybe, for this year. Maybe that means for me the Royals are going to win the World Series the more I go watch them lose. All right, just enough so they can get in the play-in or, you know, the, the wild card. Right. Perfect. I love it. Tom, we got so much to discuss on today's show. And where I want to get started is with the Aaron Rodgers saga. And we'll get to the draft here in just a second. But the news of the day, news of the week, really has been Aaron Rodgers. And this kind of overshadowed the draft, this Aaron Rodgers story did. The attention that it got, rightfully so, uh, this uh, situation with Aaron Rodgers. And to kind of recap it, for folks at home of where this all started. You go back to Thursday, the day of the draft, and Shefty and all the insiders, rap sheet and those guys are reporting that uh, Rodgers had told folks within the Green Bay organization that he did not want to return there next year. And then more news developed that he uh, threatened to retire if he doesn't get out of there. And also, uh, we heard that he wanted to go to a West Coast destination and that the Packers preferred to send him to an AFC team. And at that point, that only narrows it down to the Raiders or the Broncos. uh, The Chargers already have their franchise quarterback and Justin Herbert. So that's not happening. Um, And so you're down to two options if that's the case in the AFC. And then, you know, we, we hear some rumbling, rumblings that, uh, you know, he didn't like the way that came out, uh, you know, that it was leaked on the day of the draft and such, and that he still loves Green Bay and whatnot. And 
And then we see text messages come out that he's calling the GM, Brian uh, Gutkunst. The, uh, he, he's referring to him as uh, Jerry Krause. The, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot worse names off of that I can think of. Yeah, the uh, disgraced GM of the Bulls. I mean, he won six championships. But he, of course, chased off uh, Michael Jordan and, and, uh, and Phil Jackson and all that, too. So, nonetheless, this has been an ongoing situation. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that the end is in sight anytime soon, the way that this has gone on. But to start off with this, first off, let me just say, for the record, Aaron Rodgers has every reason to be upset. And I know that everyone and their mother has kind of chimed in on how Aaron Rodgers should feel. But in Aaron Rodgers' case here, here's a guy that is coming off an MVP season. He has shown no signs of slowing up. He sat out the first four years of his career. So although he's 37 in age, you really have to think of him as if he's 33 or 34 at this point um you know they draft his replacement last year in Jordan Love and it's not as if that they found Trevor Lawrence or anything here I mean think about when the Colts drafted Andrew Luck no one was blaming them for being ready to move on for Peyton Manning when they found you know the the guy in Andrew Luck, the, the next best thing since sliced bread, you know, the you know, biggest prospect in forever, right? No, no, no. In, in this case, Aaron Rodgers is looking at being replaced by a guy that most people didn't even think was worth a first or second round grade, okay? And that they traded up for. And then on top of that, you're talking about an Aaron Rodgers – a guy who his entire tenure as the Packers starting quarterback, they have not used a first round pick on a weapon, on a skill position player for him, let alone offensive players. Um, and then on the draft on Thursday night, they used that first round pick on a defensive player. And that was the biggest FU to Aaron Rodgers they could have delivered. It was a middle fingered Aaron Rodgers. And you know, Bo and I were talking about this in the Facebook Live we did on Thursday night after the draft, that Aaron Rodgers probably, when that pick came in, probably broke a TV, probably got the bat out and smashed the TV of how upset he was, and rightfully so. The Packers don't deserve Aaron Rodgers. They have mistreated him through this entire thing. Um, it's a damn shame that it had to be this way. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I hope he gets out – um, that he finds a good home, somebody that's, you know, going to give him the best. I mean, you think about this, Tom, no matter what you think of the Packers or Aaron Rodgers, I'm coming at this from an outsider's perspective. And the way I look at this is the Packers have not been worthy of Aaron Rodgers. You know, they, they surround him with Mike McCarthy, who we know is not a good head coach for all that time being. They never gave him the weapons that he needed. And now they're pushing his exit, you know, early when he's coming off an MVP year. I mean, it, it's just unacceptable. I mean, I, I hate it for Aaron Rodgers. I hope that he gets the go where he wants to go and he can get out of there. Um, I wish 
that Aaron Rodgers gets that fresh start. And, you know, in the case of Green Bay here, this is a team that is trying to figure themselves out, right? Um, you know, if it comes down to letting him retire or trading him, why wouldn't you trade him and go get something for him? I mean, uh, I would hate to see it in this way, much like it did with Barry Sanders, with Buffalo, and, and you know, Calvin Johnson in Detroit. Uh, or, or, sorry, both those guys were Detroit, rather. With Barry Sanders with Detroit, Calvin Johnson with Detroit, some of these other guys that we were robbed as fans because the organization didn't do the right thing for the player here. Aaron Rodgers deserves a new opportunity. And quite frankly, America deserves to see Aaron Rodgers get a new opportunity. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if, you know, we were, uh, I guess, essentially a pro chiefs podcast here. Most of the time uh, he says, West coast, if he goes to the Raiders, then what? He goes to the Raiders uh, or the Broncos. I mean, those would be his two. Oh, yeah, and his uh, fiance lives in Boulder, of all places, just 30 minutes from Denver. So, uh, yeah, he needs to get out of the NFC um, and go to the AFC because uh, all the NFC teams are, are tired of seeing him go to work. Right. Uh, arguably. I mean, but, but really, I mean, though, if, now, if, for him, it, it would be tough facing Patrick Mahomes twice a year. Um, but, you know, you look at Tom Brady, he showed up in Tampa. He wasn't afraid of Drew Brees. And, you know, he came in and they didn't even win the division. And yet the third time around, what do you know, he beats Drew Brees and they go on to win the Super Bowl here. So, you know, I think for Aaron Rodgers, he might put himself in position to be on a better team if he joins the Raiders and the Bron or the Broncos. I mean, look at the Broncos. Let's say, you know, Denver seems to be the most likely destination. I mean, that's where I would want to go. I mean, look at all the talent you have to throw to. You got Jerry Judy. Loaded. I mean, they are loaded with talent. I mean, they are from every skill position, spot, running back, tight end, wide receiver. I mean, they got it all there. Um, they're just missing a quarterback. I mean, that's it for Denver. On offense, they just need someone to get those guys the football. Aaron Rodgers walks into Denver, Tom. I hate saying this, but it's true. Uh, they're at least a 10, maybe 11 win football team. I believe it. Uh, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, Aaron Rodgers can do that. I mean, hell, Tom Brady at his age did that. So, I mean, I mean, what what will happen if, if you know, Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, goes to the mile high? It'll be insane. Uh, I mean, it'll be – It'll completely change the face of the league, essentially, in my opinion. Now, if uh, if he doesn't get traded to the AFC, um, I think there's still options that are limited in the NFC. If uh, if the if you can't get an AFC deal done of some sorts, um, you know, if San Francisco wouldn't have drafted. Trey Lance, that would have been an obvious choice, you know, him being a California guy and then being the quarterback, but it looks like they got their guy and Trey Lance and such. Um, but, you know, if we're just talking about uh, teams that are that are looking for that quarterback that have a decent roster, a team like New Orleans has 
you know, a roster that's needing a quarterback. I mean, you know, that, that's a team that comes to mind. Uh, he, he's never going to stay in the division and go to, you know, a team like Chicago or Minnesota, no matter what. Already, they've already said no to the Rams and San Fran, and they both got their guys, not Seattle, not Arizona. I mean, you already got 10 teams essentially that say, you know, that they're not going to go. Maybe the Washington football team, I did see that. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know Washington you know, looked a lot better in the second half of last year. And that defense is legit. Um, you know, uh, you could – I would say, Tom, I don't think this is a stretch. I would argue that you add Aaron Rodgers to about two-thirds of the rosters in the league, and they probably make the playoffs. That's how good I, this guy is. I agree. So you're essentially saying about 20 teams. About, Any, give, you, give me your top 20 and, and maybe more. Yeah, yeah, I would say, and that's that's how important the quarterback position is in this league, and that's how good Aaron Rodgers is, is that I think you add him to about two-thirds of rosters, and he's a playoff team. Now, in some cases, you might take, for example, uh, you know, take, for example, Washington there. You know, Washington, you know, wins even more games. Washington already was a playoff team last year, but now you actually might have a winning record instead. Um, you know, there's some things like that. But, yeah, that's the type of impact Aaron Rodgers brings. And, you know, for Green Bay, um, I think that the only course correction they can do at this point, their only hope of keeping Aaron Rodgers and keeping him happy is if you clean house and fire the GM, trade Jordan Love, and give Aaron Rodgers a new contract. I think that's the only chance of salvaging things at this point. And with knowing how the Packers run, uh, this being a you know organization that's you know a stock traded team, you know owned by the fans, and you know that they're very loyal on who they hold on to and such. I just don't see that happening. Um, but that's the only way I see them being able to salvage this is if they, you know, clean house, get rid of Jordan Love and give Aaron a, a contract extension. Uh, otherwise, uh, he's he's gone. Yeah, and maybe not. I mean, I guess worst case scenario, it would be, you know, trade Jordan Love too. But I, I think that – I really think that they could, uh, you know, manage to keep Jordan Love. I wonder how their relationship is. Uh, you know, Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, you know, if you got to, if you're thinking about Aaron Rodgers, you would, you would be like, well, uh, you know, be kind of, I don't know. It would be, the tension would be very high between them and maybe not for good reason. Uh, you know, because what has Jordan Love done other than get drafted by the team as far as we know? Right. I mean, think about this. So at the time when they drafted Jordan Love, there was a belief among some folks in the National Football League that Jordan Love was drafted with the intent of motivating Aaron Rodgers and giving him some extra juice and some extra fire of some sorts, and that Love would be another asset for them to have, you know, to – as essentially another, at the very least, to motivate Rodgers and potentially be a trade piece for Jordan Love. Um, 
Tom, there was a lot of teams in the last two months that went quarterback shopping and that hit the markets very hard and tried to find a new QB. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I do not recall there being one single report of any team that picked up the phone and called Green Bay and said, you know, that guy, Jordan Love, we really like him. We want to give you a couple first-round picks. We think he's a good young prospect. We like that he sat behind Aaron Rodgers and what he brings to the table. That phone was not ringing for Jordan Love here. I mean, that's another part that I think that just frustrates me about this Aaron Rodgers deal so much is that there's just nothing special about Jordan Love. And maybe I'm going to look like a fool here in a year or two, and Jordan Love's just going to tear it up and be a great quarterback. But – I mean, the jury's out. Yeah, the jury is out. And, and you know, I I feel bad. I don't feel bad because he's making a lot of money just holding the clipboard. But I do feel a little bit bad for Jordan Love just because it puts him in a tough spot. But he's done nothing wrong. So maybe he is. Maybe he will be a good quarterback. But, uh, I mean, you're – I wouldn't say messing around. You're – you know, in the middle of one of the greatest quarterbacks in my mind of all time, as far as technical ability and able to throw a pass. Uh, I mean, you're in discussions with the Packers losing uh, a franchise quarterback who still has many years to play. I mean, if you're Jordan Love and let's say Aaron Rodgers gets traded, you get thrusted into the spotlight and then you hit the bed, uh, it's not going to be good in Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, like, like I said, the kid's done nothing wrong. But if Aaron Rodgers gets traded and you get thrust in the spotlight and you don't aren't go getting Packers to the playoffs, you are not. It's not going. They're not going to be looking at the front office. They're going to be looking at the guy throwing the ball, and it's right. not going to be good for Jordan Love. I don't care if Jordan Love does have a good first season under center, essentially, but. It's not going to matter because there's no way in hell that he's going to be better than Aaron Rodgers. Right. And so it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I feel bad for Jordan Love to an extent and all this. Um, but, you know, that's the situation that the Packers, that's, I'll end on this with the Packers, Tom. Uh, the Packers, there's no one to blame but themselves. They put this all on themselves, this situation here. Um, you know, they could have, been very upfront with Aaron and said, Hey, look, you know, we want you for another year or two, but then Jordan's going to be our guy and that's it. Or they could have not drafted Jordan at all and gotten Aaron the weapons he wanted and kept Aaron happy here. Um, this situation, everybody's acting like, Oh my gosh, what's, you know, what's going on in green Bay and such, you know, and acting all surprised and such. Um, none of this is surprising to me. Aaron has every right to be upset uh, about what's going on here. And, you know, the, the Packers just brought this all on themselves completely here. I mean, it, it was a bonehead move by Green Bay to put themselves in this circumstance. Yeah, talk about self-sabotage. It's like they – like, what good are you doing pissing off the best player on your team? It's like they want – I mean, they did – they made moves act like they wanted to, like they were trying to smite him or something. Right. It's just like, what? Like, why would you make your best player mad? Like, are you trying to be the Lions? Right. 
No kidding. Um, speaking of the draft, wow, what a draft, huh? Um, you know, you, I look back, Tom, I felt like the draft really didn't start till pick three. We knew that the uh, Jags were going to draft Trevor Lawrence. The Jets were going to draft uh, Zach Wilson. It really started with that third pick with San Francisco getting Trey Lance. And, you know, San Francisco, they were pretty quiet about who they were drafting. Uh, you know, most speculation, myself included, thought it was going to be Mac Jones. And then, you know, at the 11th hour, we come to find out that it's going to be Trey Lance. And Trey Lance looks like he's going to be their guy that they're going to, you know, go with Garoppolo for a bit. But then Trey Lance will eventually be their, their quarterback in, you know, in the future. Then you get to, uh, you know, some of these other picks – uh, you know, Justin Fields ends up in Chicago. The Bears trade up to get him there. Uh, the, you know, uh, Patriots didn't even have to move up at all to get Mac Jones. Everybody kind of connected that Matt, Mac Jones looked like a Patriots quarterback. And, you know, oh, they'll probably have to move up to 10 or something to get him. Didn't even have to do that. Fell right in their lap here. Uh, it was a pretty fascinating draft uh, from start to finish. And looking at that first round, um, you know, the I think the team that made themselves, you know, the, the biggest noise was what Philadelphia did in uh, getting Devonta Smith at 10, trading up, only having to give up a third-round pick, and they got the Heisman Trophy winner, one of the best players in this draft, right up there with Jamar Chase, in my opinion. Um, and now you got a weapon for Jalen Hurts, too, along with Jalen Rager, who you drafted last year. If you can get some offensive line help, they can improve that offensive line. Then watch out. I mean, it's, it's going to be make or break for Jalen Hurts. The leash is not going to be very long because now you have the weapons and – uh, you got to steal in Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith could have gone as high as two or three in this draft. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going one, but I applaud Philly. And, and we've been laughing at the Eagles and Howie Roseman for quite some time. But if I had to give a winner for the, uh, the draft or in particular Thursday night, Philly would be the team that comes to mind for me, Tom. How about you? Yeah, I was thinking Philly and – Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned the leash is going to be short for Jalen Hurts. And while I don't think the leash is short for this guy, I still think it's, uh, you know, get back to Super Bowl favorites contention. Um, and I think that's the Ravens. They got Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. I mean, essentially giving, essentially giving, you know, Lamar Jackson everything he needs. So, and, and I've heard a lot of mention that they're going to do a lot of stuff differently this year. So, um, it'd be interesting to see how the Ravens go about that, drafting two top receivers um, in rounds one and, well, I guess, what would that be, four, three? Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm very interested in see what the Ravens have to do. I think they're in a, a, a position quite like the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the Chiefs, this team, and we're going to talk about them more when a Jordan Foote joins us coming up in just a bit. But I love what the Chiefs did. I mean, did it, did it use that first-round pick to trade for Orlando Brown? They were not going to find a better player at pick 31 
than an all pro tackle in Orlando Brown. And, you know, they got a second round pick out of the deal, giving up that first round pick. And they used that pick on Nick Bolton, the all SEC linebacker from Mizzou. And then they used their other second round pick on the all American center, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Both those guys are going to be starters right away. You already had the Chiefs who were the prohibited favorites in the AFC. Now you add in two starters right away at positions that you need. You know, linebacker was a big weakness for the Chiefs. The offensive line got very exposed in that Super Bowl. They needed the help. Now you get a guy in Creed Humphrey that never allowed a sack his entire career. One of the best linemen in the history of Oklahoma football. That's not a stretch. That's a fact. Um, the Chiefs, I think we're already, you know, the AFC or Super Bowl favorites here. The rich got richer. I mean, I'm not going to go out all the way and say the Chiefs won the Super Bowl by any means on, uh, on draft weekend, but they made themselves even better than, uh, than what they already were. They already were good. Both those guys, I think, are first-round talents that happened to slip through the second round. Brent mm-hmm. GM of the Chiefs, this guy, I mean, he, he keeps pulling things out of his hat. I can't believe it. I mean, he's he's one of, if not the very best GMs in football. I mean, what a what a night the uh, Chiefs had on Friday in particular, getting those two guys. Yeah, I mean, he's pulling Sam Presti moves, you know, and I wasn't necessarily paid off. Like, maybe Sam Presti's pulling Brett Beach moves or trying to. That's the way to put it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's uh, somehow making it making it work where any tight gaps he's any loopholes that can be found he's somehow just slipping through them it seems like effortlessly um still wondering why the ravens did what they did and and trading orlando brown to to essentially their out of division rival or like conference rival i'd call it yeah because it seems like it at this point right at least to me um so it, it would it would be like the Saints trading the Rams a player, yeah. um, you know, a, a starter at that. So and an all I mean a freaking all pro. So, right. um, yeah, the Chiefs just uh, the rich get richer. Another team I thought did well, Tom, was the uh, Carolina Panthers. They have that number eight pick. They get J.C. Horn, a really good cornerback from South Carolina, and he is the son of Joe Horn the former receiver. Um, They get Terrence Marshall, the LSU star receiver in the second round. They get a a very good tackle in Brady Christensen in the third. They find a tight end and Tommy Trimble also in the third. And then Chuba Hubbard as well in the fourth. This was a Panthers team that way overachieved last year. Everybody thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in football. But Matt Rule got a lot out of that Panthers team last year. And they drafted all defense. Now you have Joe Brady as your offensive coordinator who really revolutionized that offense last year and, you know, did things with Teddy Bridgewater that no one expected. McCaffrey, when he was healthy, looked really good. Now you get him some relief with Chuba Hubbard. You can take the load off McCaffrey a little bit, keep him healthy, keep him fresh. You get – you know, Darnold, who I think Darnold can still be a franchise quarterback, just needs better talent around him and better coaching. Joe Brady is going to be the best thing that ever happened to Sam Darnold. Uh, 
Um, you add in those weapons there with Chuba and Trimble and Marshall here. I mean, watch out. I don't think the Panthers are making the playoffs yet, Tom, but they are on the rise. The Panthers are a coming. I really like what Matt Rule and company are doing there in Carolina. They had a really nice draft. They may have had the best draft of anybody in all honesty. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and, and just look at the division that they're in. I mean, everyone got better seemingly. Uh, you know, I mean, Sands may be the Saints, but the Saints are still the Saints. Um, they're still going to be, I think, decent. Uh, I mean, Atlanta, you know, with, with them getting Kyle Pitts and, you know, maybe getting some heat off of uh, – Julio Jones and given Matt Ryan, even though we know how we feel about Matt Ryan on the show, but there's a lot worse quarterbacks than Matt Ryan. <clears throat> so, you know, for the Falcons to, to somewhat maybe take some steps, uh, obviously Tampa Bay brings everyone and their mom back. Um, you know, you have to, you know, you have to make some money moves. Uh, yeah. This is what I like to call those. You know, you have to, yeah, I mean, it's either evolve or die. And for Carolina, I mean, sure, they're not making the playoffs, but could they be better than the Saints this year? Could they essentially – is it a fight? It's a fight for second in the NFC South. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Unfortunately, until Tom Brady leaves, um, maybe this is the last year, maybe next year, who knows? I'm I'm not even putting a timeline on him anymore. So until then, you just got to figure out ways to get better. Matt Rule, we already know what he's like. He's the analytical guy. Um, We we know how he operates. Right. And so for him, this is I'm not shocked. Yeah. That they that I think they had a solid draft. I mean, he's seen Chuba Hubbard. Uh, He knows what he's getting there. Interestingly enough. Uh, the last Canadian running back drafted was also drafted by Carolina, I saw, and that was in 1996, Jones. Ooh. I don't know if you can remember that far back. Yeah, that was the year I was born. That's, right. So, that's I mean, Canada doing big things um, oh. or trying to. There's there's a few international, not a whole lot, but a couple international players getting drafted. Uh couple more as far as uh, winners and losers. Jones, Jones, real quick, real quick on the draft while we're talking about Carolina and Chuba. Did you see the uh, the CFL team, the Calgary CFL team, drafted Chuba in the fifth round of the CFL draft? No, that's just a waste of a pick. Yeah. Well, they, they're essentially, I guess, betting on him not to be so hot. And for a fifth rounder, <laughs> they would have his rights if he so chooses okay. to go to the CFL. Yeah, that's that's not happening. But, okay, sure. Um, now, as far as winners and losers go, uh, how about how about Zayvon Collins? Big winner, I think, as far as you want to talk about just the progression. This guy was, you know – before last year, no one knew who he was, you know, was probably just hoping to get drafted or, you know, be a day three guy and has an all American season, you know, Tulsa gets to the AAC championship game and, and was just unbelievable. 
And then, you know, as the draft came around, people were talking about, oh, it'll probably be a late first-round pick, maybe a second-round pick, and, and just continue to rise up boards, had a really good pro day, and he falls all the way, ends up at 17th after all that to Arizona. He'll start right away. You know, they added Isaiah Simmons last year, and, and uh, now you got some young guys in that defense. They added a veteran in J.J. Watt, of course, this offseason – um, I was very happy for Zabin Collins, Tom, to have that big progression uh, in just a short amount of time to go from a nobody to a top, you know, 18 draft pick. I mean, that was uh, awesome to see him end up in Arizona. I know you hate it as a Rams fan, but nonetheless, this is a guy that's going to be on a good team right away and it's going to get plenty of opportunity. That's a great story to see that work out for Zabin. Yeah, for especially, uh, you know, a, a- a Tulsa guy, like, I got to be happy for him, you know, to wherever he goes, because that's just – it's always – I mean, a, a, a Tulsa guy in the first round, I mean, that's saying something. It's no shame to Tulsa, but right. he was just there, that good. There was no Big 12 uh, players collected in the first round, but the University of Tulsa had a top 17 pick. Right. That's incredible. Right. I mean, he's kind of like Khalil Mack from Buffalo went however long ago. Yeah. Um, you know, he now he didn't get as much play as Khalil Mack and probably didn't go as high, obviously. But still, I mean, look at look at all these great defensive players coming out of smaller schools. You get Khalil Mack from Buffalo, Zaven Collins from Tulsa. You could even call Aaron Donald from Pittsburgh a smaller school. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe that's where to find him. Maybe so. Um, the biggest loser of the draft. That's our friend Mel Kiper. Yes, our friend Mel Kuyper Jr., yes, um, who enjoys uh, his uh, pumpkin pie for breakfast and watches The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson every night at 1130 uh, and also watches Dallas on, uh, on Friday nights at 9 o'clock uh, because he's not crazy, not one bit. Um, the biggest loser of the draft, Tom, we already knew they were going to be in bad shape going in with the limited picks they had. Uh, but obviously it was Houston, right? I mean, they used their first pick of the entire draft in the third round on Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford, who could not even beat out KJ Costello and finds him his way to be in the number, you know, three round pick. And, you know, now with, Sean Watson likely not to play this upcoming year. He's probably going to start or at least start at some point this year for the Houston Texans. That team is so bad. Uh, I know that Bill O'Brien's not the head coach and GM anymore, but when you look at their draft with what they did, you know, with uh, the lack of picks and not really making any moves and trying to get more picks in this draft and such, it was like Bill O'Brien was still there. I mean, this still reeked Bill O'Brien here. Davis Mills, you know, I, I wish the guy nothing but the best here, but, I mean, my goodness. I mean, that's that's going to be your future? You're, you're banking everything on a third-round quarterback from Stanford who couldn't even beat out the starter here? I mean, this is uh, going to be bad. I'll, I'll, I'll say this right now. I will be shocked. I would bet anyone right now $100 – that the Houston Texans are going to have the number one pick in next year's draft. They are going to be horrible next year, Tom. 
Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, it's a shame that they traded all that draft capital away, or maybe they could make a run at Aaron Rodgers. But unfortunately, they're still feeling the, you know, the wrath of Bill O'Brien. You know what this kind of reminds me of when the Nets traded all those picks to Boston, uh, you know, for an aging Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and didn't get shit out of it and were literally dog shit for years until a snake had to come save the day. Uh, you know, like, is that what's going to take, uh, you know, a Kevin Durant of the league to come save the day uh, for the Houston team? And for one, Houston might as well be the – no, I'll get slack. I'll get some hell for saying this, but they're no better than St. Louis. I mean, Houston, you got a trash NBA team now. You got a trash NFL team. Uh, a cheating baseball team that everybody hates. Right. I mean, Houston's just a city of shit. Um, you know, I'm here to say it as a Spurs fan. I'll say it. That's not going to hurt me any. Uh, we hate Houston here on this show. Unfortunately, Jones, if you remember years ago when we let the listeners pick the team that we were going to root for, I believe it was the Astros. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess uh, we won't be getting jobs in Houston anytime soon. No, I'm not planning on it. I don't want to live in a humidity hell. <laughs> I'm already close enough here in, in Oklahoma but that I, I'm good on my Here's humidity. what I'll wrap up with, with the draft and with, with Houston on in this. So I, I'm a fan of an NBA team right now that's currently tanking, right? The Oklahoma City Thunder, no secret. And – the only saving grace, the only thing that feels good about what the Thunder are going through is knowing, hell, we got a ton of picks the next six-plus years, a lot of draft capital, a lot of things to work with. And you know what? There's a good chance, just playing the numbers, the Thunder are going to be pretty dang good down the road. Now, keywords down the road, but nonetheless, you can feel good, feel optimistic here. If I was a Houston Texans fan, um, with looking at that roster, with looking at their quarterback situation, with where Deshaun Watson is at right now, and then, you know, Davis Mills being your probably starting quarterback and not having any draft capital and all that, it would be hard not to jump off a bridge right now if you're a Houston Texans fan. Yeah, it'd be like being a Rams fan a couple of years ago. Uh, when they were making their way out of St. Louis. Let I mean, me clarify, I'm like. not advocating jumping off a bridge. Please don't take that the wrong way, folks. But, yes, I mean, it would be very difficult. It's, uh, you know, everyone suffers through hard times. And as, as a sports fan, uh, you know, no one's, no one's, you know, out of this. Anybody can get the smoke depending on what their team does. Um, but man, Houston has Houston ever been? I mean, sure, when they lost to the Chiefs, uh, after the Chiefs made that comeback, they were decent, right? Um, but that was only two years they ago, they've never been from, from, the, from the David Carr days, they have just not been it. Sure, they've had JJ Watt now, Deshaun Watson. They, I mean, Bill O'Brien. I doubt is welcome in Houston at any time at any restaurant. I mean, he wouldn't be welcome in my restaurant if 
I would be so afraid that he would just be the coach, become the coach of of my team that I wouldn't allow him in my restaurant. Um, you said, Tom. You got to think at this. this you got to think at this point. I think you've Jones, heard. You got to think this before, point. Tom. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Um, that Bill O'Brien is what you get if Booger McFarland was a head coach and GM. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. You got, I mean, you got to think Bill O'Brien has just coached himself out of a, a, a job, GM'd himself out of a job forever. Yeah. Now he's like, had, maybe that's, maybe that's the next coach for KU after this guy they just hired. Oh, well, now he's at the, uh, the, the Nick Saban rehab camp. There's the offense coordinator of Alabama. So, yeah, maybe, maybe he'll be at Texas in a few years. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> please, Texas, please hire Bill O'Brien. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh, I would be all in for that. Oh, gosh. Uh, Jordan Foote going to join us next. Later on, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, plus our top fullery story of the week as well. All that and more as we continue here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from Sports Illustrated, covering the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL Draft. Also, the NBA for 48minutes.com and the RP3 uh, natural site. It is uh, the one and only Jordan Foote who makes his debut here on the Jones Report this week. Jordan, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Yep, Tyler, thanks a lot, man. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. Uh, first off, before we dive into too much shopping stuff, uh, since it's your first time here, I want to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Sure, man. So uh, it's almost mid-May. I'm going to finish up my senior semester, um, spring semester of senior year at Baker University over in Kansas. So studying sports media and sports admin up there. I've been writing for a few years now, so hoping to break into that at least part-time the job market with COVID is still a little iffy um, sure. I know that you have plenty of experience bouncing around and doing a bunch of different stuff and having fun like that so um, just trying to do as much as I can and kind of dabble in some NBA dabble in some baseball dabble in football and um, just stay well-rounded man oh yeah that's awesome and uh, Baker gotta love those Wildcats uh, you know my, <laughs> my guy Tom Hedrick over there uh, still I think is showing up around from time to time there so mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome, man. Well, let's uh, let's start with the Chiefs in the draft. Uh, you know, obviously, they didn't have a first-round pick, but they used that pick to trade for Orlando Brown, the all-pro left tackle. And then their first two picks in the second round end up with Nick Bolton as well as Creed Humphrey here. Jordan, I- I'm looking at this situation. I think Brett Veach made about as good of a situation he could have had to work with here. They weren't going to find anybody better than Brown at that spot. And then the pick they got out of that turned into Nick Bolton here. I, I personally think that those those three picks essentially got him about, you know, three first-round talents here. What say you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously at 31, the odds of getting an all-pro left tackle, they're, they're not great. I mean, at 31, people were thinking about it's a very good guard class with all the tackles having short arms. How are they going to factor into what the Chiefs want? So that was a no-brainer. I think losing that third-round pick, you will gladly do that for a player like Orlando Brown. Then Nick Bolton, I think year one, his fit's going to be a little iffy, but long-term they're going to save a lot of money not having to pay Anthony Hitchens. They're going to have Bolton who can step in and replace him on his rookie deal. Hard hitting, really smart guy. 
it's going to complement Willie Gay really well. I'm a guy who flies around the field and does a bunch of different stuff. So that's exciting. Creed Humphrey, man, one of the best interior linemen in the draft. It's at 63. You can't get much better value than that. Like he's a guy where if they took him at 31, I would have been just fine with it. Humphrey's great. So that first three picks, if we look at it that way, home run of a draft for Brett Beach overall, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were looking at, I think, before Thursday, the Chiefs were already looking at being the best team in football. Now the the rich got richer. I mean, the the Chiefs went from being the best to even being better than what they were before. Yeah, and the offensive line was the big problem, and they literally, Brett Veach overcorrected it to a T. Like, it was absolutely masterful what he did. They could literally have all brand-new starters um, considering that Duvernay Tardif opted out of last season. So they're going to get all those five guys set up. And it's going to take a little bit, I think, for them to kind of gel together and get that continuity. But considering last year they never had that, really. Guys were shuffling in and out of the lineup all season. Even into the Super Bowl, they had their backup right tackle playing left tackle. The right guard was playing left guard or right tackle. Whatever was the scenario, it's a lot better. And with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, that's kind of what you have to do. Surround him with talent like that. Keep him protected. And losing Sammy Watkins obviously hurts, but I'm high on Cornell Powell. I think by the end of the year, we can see him play a bigger role. And also, when you're running the ball better, the boxes are getting stacked. Your receivers have more time to get open or less attention on them. When your offensive line's protecting Mahomes, he has more time to stay in the pocket or even extend plays. So I think that Losing Watkins does hurt, but because the line's better, there's going to be a domino effect and the offense as a whole will be okay. Yeah, well, and uh, you bring up those uh, day three selections. I want to get those in just a second here. But, you know, in the case of Cornell Powell, for example, um, you know, Sammy Watkins was so unhealthy anyway, this team was was used to him not being there. They couldn't depend on him now. That salary you were spending on Sammy just – applies elsewhere I don't think that's going to be as big a loss as some might might think yeah and you still have two all pro like future hall of fame weapons in in Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill so uh, it's not like Patrick Mahomes isn't going to have any help McCall Hardman is a really fast fun player that hopefully will get a little bit better in that slot role Robinson is not a scrub Chiefs Kingdom kind of talks about him as if he's a bad player. He can step up and make plays. Um, Even Byron Pringle, he is a guy that has had a really, really limited role with that team, but I I think that they're high on him. I don't know if I believe all of that, but he's a good depth piece. So they have a ton of options. I think that even using Edward Zulaire in the receiving game is something that they were going to do come playoff time, didn't really have the chance to. So um, it's going to be really interesting, and I think that anytime you have that good line and a good foundation in Mahomes, Edwards, Hilaire, Hill, Kelsey, you're you're going to be just fine. All right. So those other day three picks, uh, what'd you make of what they did uh, from round four on there? I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, Noah Gray is a guy that can kind of be that why ISO Travis Kelsey type role. I mean, he even wears eighty seven. He uses those little head fakes, not to compare them, but kind of to compare them, of course. Um, Kelsey is in a stratosphere of his own, but he's a fun player that can maybe be used in that H-back role. I know they signed a fullback. They might be able to cut him, save a million bucks there. Um, Josh Kando, it was a little bit earlier than I would have liked. I thought he was more of a sixth-round guy or late fifth, but if you take the the round value out of it and just look at the draft class that they got, because Cornell Powell, I didn't expect him to slide that far. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the beast with the NFL draft. So Kando 
really high ceiling, especially on day three. It's hard to get guys like that that have the athletic tools and all that stuff and need just some seasoning in order to get better. Those are usually day two guys. So that was a great pick. Powell was a fantastic pick. And man, to get Trey Smith in the sixth round, absolutely insane. Like he he shouldn't have been there. Even if the medicals weren't great, he still should have went before. That's a round two, round three talent that could end up being the starting right guard. Like this could be a Chiefs team that has a starting offensive line that stays together for like four seasons, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, that's unheard of. Uh, yeah. If they can get Trey Smith to be that, that would be uh, phenomenal. And uh, so now that this team goes from here, do you see any glaring weakness after the draft? Is there going to be something that you say, you know, hey, this could keep the Chiefs from going over the hump? Or, or do they look like a complete football team to you? I think they're pretty close to complete. I mean, if you try to nitpick holes in the roster, I think you could try to make a case for wide receiver because Watkins isn't there anymore. But I still think I think we both agree that they're going to be okay. And then you look at linebacker, they added some depth there. They just signed a guy yesterday um, on Wednesday. So that's fine. Cornerback, that's probably the weakest link if I could nitpick here because Bashad Breland hasn't returned. They might have to move Snead to the outside. But then you have Rashad Fenton, and they just signed a guy. Um, forgive me for not remembering his name. He played for the Broncos. He was a safety. Um, and he has slot uh, cornerback experience, which is going to be nice. So they have defensive back help, which is going to be super helpful. So that kind of makes it a by-committee thing, I think, to fill in that slot role should Snead go outside. And then on the edge, they signed Jaron Reed so Chris Jones can maybe play on the outside on early downs. Mike Dana is there. Taco Charlton is there. So there are areas where maybe the top end talent doesn't exist, um, but there's plenty of depth to go around. I think they'll be able to manufacture some some solid reps. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, uh, looking at what other teams did in the draft, do you think uh, anybody made a significant push to compete with the Chiefs, uh, in particular on the AFC side? Who did, who did you like of what other teams did there uh, this past weekend? Um. Sticking in the AFC West, I think the Chargers had a fantastic draft. And still, they're not contender status, I don't think. They probably need another year before leveling up to that. But they could be a playoff team. And, I mean, anything can happen in the playoffs. You can always get knocked off by a an upstart wild card team, and I could see them doing that. But AFC-wise, man, the Browns. The Browns really – they don't scare me, but I'm I'm cautiously kind of aware of them because they're well-built in the trenches. They're – um, they'll go as far as Mayfield takes them. And he looked pretty good in that first half of the playoff game. Looked like he was a guy who can put the team on his back when needed. So Mayfield and the Browns, um, they added some kind of talent up front. They made that more of a formidable front seven, which is something that really that was all they needed to do. The Bills are going to be there. Um, they got Spencer Brown, who immediately jumped through a table on Twitter, which was just classic Bills Mafia stuff. He'll fit in there great and be a good left tackle for years to come. So the AFC did some stuff to kind of stay where they were at and just add some depth. I don't think any of them got significantly better. And you look at the Chiefs team in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs team now, they fixed their biggest weakness. And Baltimore helped them fix that biggest weakness. So I don't know. Baltimore just – they got some wide receiver depth. They got a lot of talent, but is Lamar Jackson going to allow that to work? Is Greg Roman going to allow that to work? Like that's always a worry with them. So I think it's still the chiefs and then a gap and then everybody else. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, that's for sure. Jordan foot joining us here at the Jones Report this week. 
staying in the AFC West, uh, you know, a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers potentially being traded and seems like the most likely destinations are Denver or Las Vegas. How do you think that would affect the Chiefs? I know that we're playing hypotheticals here, and obviously, you know, either one of those teams would have to give up a lot if that were to happen. But how much effect, if any at all, do you think uh, Aaron Rodgers would mean if he came to the AFC on on the Chiefs? He makes the Broncos Super Bowl contenders. And I, I usually don't take that phrase lightly. It takes a lot for me to say that about a team. But, man, you look at what they have. Their secondary is fantastic. They just added Pat Sertan in the draft, which is insane. Um, they still have Von Miller. They have some guys coming back from COVID opt-outs or injuries. Then on offense, it's just a matter of what they'd give up. Like, would they have to send back a Cortland Sutton and a first-round pick or two or three? Um, would they have to break up some of the receivers? Because they have Sutton, they have Judy, they have Hamler, they have Noah Fant. Like, there's a lot of talent on that team. But at the same time, how much are you sending back in order like would you have to trade Sertan who you just picked at number nine like what would the magic formula be but you look at that they're a team that they're a good quarterback away from doing some damage I think and at least making the playoffs and then if you put Aaron Rodgers on a playoff team I think they're Super Bowl contenders he's that good of a player and he's a guy that can really elevate the players around him to get better now the Raiders on the other hand I just don't see it with them. Like, I think they're definitely a playoff team with him. They'd be really fun and really um, competitive, but I just think that they're still missing some talent to where they wouldn't be able to go all the way, but Denver would definitely get a lot better with them. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that I would welcome the idea of Aaron Rodgers <laughs> coming to the AFC West and get to see him twice a year against KFC Chiefs. Um, certainly would think make things harder. Sure. But I, I don't think that's, something that the Chiefs are necessarily worried about if, mm -hmm. if Aaron Rodgers comes over. What say you? I, I would feel like it's almost almost welcoming the competition of some sorts. Yeah, and the Chiefs should know that if they're at their best and they show up, they can beat any team in the NFL. Like even sometimes when they don't show up at their best, they can still beat teams. So they would just have to hope that should they play in the playoffs, the Chiefs show up and take care of business and play Chiefs football. And if you have – the advantage at quarterback, albeit a very slight advantage, the advantage on a few other pieces, it's just going to be a downright X factor. What happens throughout the game? How do you bounce back from adversity type contest? And if you don't win that game, then you don't deserve to win the big game. I mean, that's that's just how it goes, unless your entire starting offensive line is out and something crazy happens. But like you said, I'd welcome it. I think that um, it makes for good football, and I'm a big fan of good competitive football, so I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many years in a row has it been now? Chiefs been winning the AFC West. And the last few years, <laughs> at least they haven't had any competition really of that sort either. So, yeah, uh, that'll be uh, that'll be fun to see. Uh, last thing on the Chiefs. Uh, do, do you see them potentially looking for a, uh, a veteran piece uh, in free agency or making one more trade of some sorts? Do you think they're going to stay pat? Where do you see the Chiefs? going forward between now and when the season starts? Does it stay the same or do they make another move between now and then? Sure. I think that one more moves on the horizon. And I don't know if it's going to be a undrafted free agent signing. I'm sure they'll make more of those. But Bashad Breland is a guy I still have my eye on. And people have kind of kicked the tires on Twitter saying, oh, it's possible but not likely. Or, oh, they haven't communicated but the door's open. Stuff like that where you're just like, he's out there. The Chiefs are looking, they're compatible, he's familiar, 
he hasn't moved probably like he's still probably in Kansas city or on vacation coming back or whatever. So it just makes sense, I think. And he's a guy that, man, I feel bad for him because he had that big contract in Carolina got hurt, had the infection or whatever they waived him or didn't follow through with the deal. There've been multiple opportunities to where he's played good football, hit the market. He just doesn't have one. And he's a guy that could have had a three or four year deal worth six, seven, eight million dollars a year. I don't remember the specifics, but he could have cashed out and he's just come back to the Chiefs every year. So I think it's something where this could be another example. And I believe he's pushing 30. I think he's 29. So it's not like he's getting younger. And this could be a situation where it just makes sense. You kind of cut your losses and come back. And there could be a lot worse situations to come back to, right? Than a Super Bowl caliber team and a, a roster and coaching staff you're familiar with. So I think that Breland is definitely the one I have my eye on. What about uh, Mitchell Schwartz? Do you think that train is coming past by, or do you think there's an outside chance he can still come back? I think there's a non-zero chance that he's going to come back, but also with that, man, with the offensive line now a strength for the Chiefs and I don't know what you would do with Niang. Do you move him inside to right guard? But then you have Long and LDT and Smith. Like it's it's now they have 13 or 14 bodies competing for a finite amount of spots. And then if you throw Mitchell Schwartz back there, then you're getting a good player. But is he going to be able to withstand all that uh, trauma of the NFL and all that stuff? Now, people brought up the Broncos because they just lost their tackle um, to a torn Achilles that would suck but also that's the business and Eric Fisher the same way with the Colts I mean these guys are going to play if they can I'm much more confident obviously in Fisher being able to play this season or play again Schwartz just the nature of his injury and I guess it's always the case with back injuries but not being able to like wear shoes or like walk for a little bit after it, it just doesn't seem well that those guys can come back and play football again at right tackle. And it's not like he's 40 years old and is way past his prime. He could still be a really good player. Um, but with the Chiefs, considering what they did this offseason, I think they're definitely planning on maybe keeping tabs on him and then seeing maybe down the road if they need it. But right now, as the roster stands, I think they're good to go. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, let's talk uh, some NBA playoffs now, Jordan. Uh, First off, I want to get your thoughts. What do you make of this uh, play-in tournament? seems like the hot-button thing of, of controversy the last couple of weeks, especially with LeBron chiming in and everything. Mm -hmm. We're going to see it for a second year in a row. What do you make of just this format, first off? Are, are you a fan of, uh, of having this to begin with? I think this is the last year I will understand having it. And it's – they had it because of COVID and people getting injured and people missing games and protocols, and everyone playing different amounts of games and making up games and all that stuff. And then getting back to that second season, essentially last year. So I was like, okay, the playing's fine this year. Teams like the Mavericks have gotten just wrecked by COVID several times throughout the year. Um, short off season guys are getting hurt, stuff like that. So I get having it this year, but at a certain point, like the cutoff is the cutoff. And I think that next year when everything is quote unquote back to normal, um, we talked before we went on, that there's never going to be an exact normal, but still um, it's, I get like within two games or something, like maybe your star player sat out or you missed a couple games or whatever, but then that's kind of what happens throughout the season. Like teams historically that have narrowly missed the playoffs, they haven't had a play in game for it. And I think that it's more of a COVID thing than a NBA moving forward. And I feel like it's here to stay. 
because of ratings, they're going to make money. It's going to be cool. People like it. But personally, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I think it's cool that a team like Golden State, who this year is clearly outmatched by most of the teams they play, but if Steph Curry gets hot and has a 50-point game and Andrew Wiggins chips in, they could beat pretty much anybody. They could beat the Lakers in the play-in, which is what I'm kind of thinking of as that'd be a fun matchup. But at the same time, a Lakers team that's clearly better losing in a play into Golden State, that would also suck. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. Well, and, and the thing with me, I'm looking at the, these play-in tournaments, Jordan, is that you have a situation where history tells us that the lower seeds aren't going to do much anyway when it comes to playoff time, that they're not going to make a run. It's very rare you have an eight upset of one or even seven upset of two, vice versa. All of this to me, and I know that this year may be a little more competitive, but most I feel like if you're looking towards the future, most years it'd be a waste of time anyway. I mean, you're yeah. playing in a tournament to essentially lose. Uh, to me, that's where I look at it being a waste of some sorts is, a, you know, just a money grab because the, the long-term gain is getting eliminated just a few days later than what you would have been. Yeah, and then you have teams like the Hornets where – if I don't know their exact standing right now, but obviously they're a fun, competitive young team, but they're also taking draft position away from themselves by potentially winning that play and getting into the playoffs and losing in the first round. I know that the goal is always to win, but you have to take those things into account. Like I know teams say they don't tank. They're aware of stuff like that. They are very much aware that if they got matched up with the Nets or the Bucks or something like that, the 76ers, there's no way they're going to win. Golden State is the same way. If they get matched up with the number one seed in the West, granted it is Utah or Phoenix this year, which is different than what we're used to historically. It's not a Clippers, Lakers, something like that, that has that super team kind of effect. But I'm with you. I think that this is the last year where I'm like, okay, this is fine. But moving forward, it'd be my preference to kind of get back to the way it was. Yeah, yeah. Have a reward for the regular season of some sorts. The NBA regular season is already – so unimportant mm -hmm. that you, you continue to dilute it with uh, these playing tournaments as far as that goes. Um, you mentioned Utah and Phoenix up top. I know that you follow the Jazz closely. Uh, what, what is going on there? Are, are you buying both of those teams up top, or is it more so just some good regular season success? Do you think those guys are legit contenders to win the West? Yes and no. And I think that Utah historically, since – really since Quinn Snyder got there and was the coach, it's been that regular season success than a first or second round exit. Like that's just been the brand of the Utah Jazz. And a lot of teams would kill to have that. So they're okay with it. But man, it also says something about the state of the Western Conference and that the Clippers, people are down on them, even though they're playing great basketball. The Lakers have LeBron and Davis that have been hurt. No one knows if they're going to get back to full strength. Like it's Denver's missing Jamal Murray. Who knows what they're going to do. So they're kind of benefiting from the rest of the West being kind of watered down, I guess, this year and more competitive, like the doors wide open. So a team like Phoenix, man, to go from the play in or outside the playoffs to potentially the number one seed in the West, part of that's the Chris Paul effect because he's just fantastic. But part of that is the West is just different. And if you're hot in the regular season, a team like Utah that's getting Donovan Mitchell back in time for the playoffs, hopefully they can do some damage. He had a great uh, series in the bubble last year against Denver. So I think that I wouldn't necessarily bet on them to do some damage, but also I wouldn't be one bit surprised if one of those teams got to the West finals or potentially even the NBA finals, depending on what else happens. Isn't that bizarre? We're talking about Utah. <laughs> uh, 
in that realm there. Uh, of the West, since since we're at it, if it's not Utah or Phoenix, who do you like? It seems like, I mean, everyone was talking Lakers, but you mentioned what they've gone through with all their injuries and such. If uh, the Lakers aren't healthy, it seems like this thing would be pretty wide open. What say you? Yeah, absolutely. And it really comes down to that because I think if the Lakers are healthy and they're somewhat clicking – they're going to do it. Like it's when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, it's hard not to. And the rest of their roster is good enough to where they can make a deep playoff run and win it all. They've proven they can do that. But man, the Clippers, they've gotten the reputation of being chokers because of last playoff series. Um, They just, it was a collapse. I mean, it was a complete and epic collapse, but Paul George is playing a lot better. We'll have to see how he does come playoff time. Kawhi is going to be Kawhi. They have guys like Rondo who, are playing good basketball for them and leading. So they have championship DNA on that team. The Nuggets are always the X factor because they're so young. They have Jokic. Can he get you there come playoff time is what I'm worried about. I just, something's missing with them. And part of that's obviously Jamal Murray, great player, but there's also something else. So I don't know there, man, if the Lakers are healthy and look somewhat cohesive, I'm going to go with them. But if not to pick one team, I might have to go with Phoenix, man. I think that they're really, really good, and they're still waiting on playoff Booker and playoff Chris Paul. This could be the year that they get there. Um, Phoenix, Utah, or the Lakers. But if the Lakers are healthy, it's hard to really bet against them. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right about that. That's uh, that's for certain. Um, last thing in the Western Conference, you mentioned Jokic. Uh, you think he's the MVP or you like someone else? <sighs> I go back and forth and that sounds weird because he's had such a fantastic season. And the guy that I'm going to bring up, Chris Paul, the numbers are not anything crazy. And in the, in a scenario like that, Jokic is doing historic stuff for a center. So you have to really go with him, but I think Chris Paul's my number two and Steph Curry's been fantastic. Dame has been fantastic. Embiid and LeBron would have been neck and neck. Had they not been injured, it would have came down to the wire for them probably um, Harden has been getting buzzed, but he's been out for so long. And he also has the Durant and Kyrie effect kind of out, um, w- outweighing that, I guess. But man, Jokic has been so good and he's been a better defender than he has been. And he's putting up historic numbers. All the metrics love him. The team is doing well. He's playing well once Murray goes down. They were climbing up the standings after a rough year. Like even Luca and Dallas, they just don't have the success. And whether they want to admit it or not, all of that stuff goes into the MVP voting and it's narrative based. Sure. But the team merit has a lot of the individual stats. Like if you want to go most valuable player, literally Chris Paul brought the Suns from a a 10 seed to potentially number one. Like there's a lot of value in that they didn't make any other major transactions. So it comes down to, I guess the best player for the season, because then you go to the LeBron thing LeBron should have way more MVPs than he does. He's been the best player in the league for so many years. Like, so it's clearly not the who's the best player right now. It's who's had the best season combined with some other stuff. So I think Jokic definitely gets that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you make a great point there. How about the Eastern conference? Uh, The Nets, I know that they've, you know, been kind of in and out with who's available and who's not, but uh, it feels like when this team's at full strength, this could be an easy road for them in the East. What say you? I, it's a tough one. It, it is. And I think that the Nets, man, when Harden is there, they're a different team. And it makes a big, big, big difference. And Durant, I feel like 
once they get everyone rolling on all cylinders, they're going to hit that unstoppable point. Like as long as they can play even an inkling of defense, it's going to be crazy. But Philadelphia, I still am not going to count them out yet. Even Milwaukee, I think that Milwaukee, they need to at least get to the conference finals. I mean, it's been, they have Drew Holiday, they have Middleton, they have Giannis. It's a decent roster, but there's something missing there. And Giannis has gotten better, but still hasn't taken that, step to where in the playoffs when the floor is shrinking and you have to be able to make stuff happen in the half court he's just not that guy like he's not going to hit a bunch of pull-up threes he's not going to hit catch and shoot threes he needs the ball in his hands he needs to get out and run he needs to get out in fast breaks he needs to shoot free throws and stuff like that doesn't really happen quite as much once those courts shrink in the playoffs and people are playing more intense defense all the time it's just hard to buy into Milwaukee Philly they're just interesting to me and Simmons and Embiid have never been a perfect fit because Simmons needs to drive and have the lane open for him. Embiid likes to bang down low and clog the lane for Simmons. Simmons can't shoot. Embiid's not a great shooter either. So then that comes into play. Um, Brooklyn might get there. It just depends on Harden. I think if Harden's not there, I don't know if Kyrie and Durant are quite enough to get there. If Harden comes back and is healthy, which I'm banking on, I think they're going to do it. So besides them, I think Philadelphia, then I think Milwaukee, then kind of the rest of the field. Like even a team like Miami, where last year they were, I think, the five seed and managed to get all the way. They just haven't clicked all season. And if things click for them, they can make a deep playoff run. The Celtics all year haven't clicked. If they click, they can do some damage. It's such a weird season. And I I like it and I hate it at the same time (laughs) because the teams that should be doing well sometimes aren't, but also – there's a lot of untapped potential, but it's so late in the year that it's hard to count on those teams kind of hitting that that moment where everything clicks. I mean, we're in May, so it's hard to, to count on them to do it. So, so riddle me this then. What would be your explanation? Why do you think the Heat have been down, but a team like the Knicks all of a sudden is a top four team in the East? What, what, what exactly went on with those two teams there? I think that uh, everyone was shocked at the direction that both of them went in, in different ways. Yeah, well, the Heat have been injured a lot this season. Butler missed a lot of time. Hero missed some time. Um, Bam has been trying to carry. Dragic was injured for a little bit and still coming back from the injury he had in the bubble. So a lack of continuity, and I think that can be the explanation. Even Dallas injuries and COVID kind of destroyed their season for the most part. So a lack of continuity, injuries, COVID. And then for the Knicks, they've just been – clicking on all cylinders. I mean, Julius Randle has ascended into a really great player. They got Derrick Rose. They have quickly, they have RJ Barrett, who's gotten better. Um, Tom Thibodeau has them playing really tough nosed defensive basketball. They have just enough talent on offense to where they're scoring. Um, It's, I don't think they're going to do anything come playoff time. They're just, they just don't scream that to me, but they're on one heck of a stretch. And I think that it's good. The NBA is better when the Knicks are playing good basketball and they're a really fun, mediocre team. One of the more fun ones we've had in recent memory, I think. A fun, mediocre team. That's a good <laughs> and a good way to uh, end our conversation. Jordan, I felt like you and I could have kept, kept talking for a while, but we're out of time, man. Uh, where can people find your work and all the stuff you're doing? Yeah, so right now, uh, follow me on Twitter at Footnoted. Shout out to Joshua Briscoe for um, redoing my Twitter handle. That's something that took quite a bit, that process. Um, right now I'm doing SI Chiefs draft stuff, post-draft, um, pre-preseason schedule releases, stuff like that. So all things Chiefs, follow me over there. 
I'm starting an NBA draft series, which is going to be really fun. Look, it's always draft season for me, Tyler, and I'm sure it's always draft season for Tyler too. Um, always something going on in the news world, the sports world. So thanks a lot for having me on, man. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on again. Uh, Jordan Foote, Jordan, I got Sarah the Jones Report this week. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian.o'connor at lpl.com. Bo joins us right now. Bo, an exciting few days for you with uh, the new office opening up there at Lawrence. Uh, congrats on that, and uh, certainly a big deal for you guys as a company, I imagine, too. Yeah, thank you. It's been a great time to get in and to be next to our partners at Stone Creek Accounting and, uh, and to be in our new building. We're happy as can be to be uh, back out. We're you know, kind of back to pre-COVID ways of being able to see people in office, so uh, not everything is, you know, uh, online, on the phone, or on Zoom. So, uh, really excited to be back in front of people and to get things going, all vaccinated, ready to go. And uh, it, it's, it's, we're we're already rocking and getting it going. That's awesome. That's great to see. And uh, for more information, check out O'Connor Advisory Group at uh, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com and uh, OAGKS.com as well for more information there. Both. Let's uh, let's start out with the draft, and then we'll get to Aaron Rodgers coming up later, but. First off, who did you like when it came to the draft uh, of the teams that made the best moves of sorts? Who came out looking really good after it all wrapped up? I know that you and I, we had a nice Facebook Live on Thursday night where we were a little bit fired up. But now that this is all concluded, uh, who who came out ahead after Saturday? I I really think the winners of the Miami Dolphins. I love what they're doing. They've become – um, like the like the Patriots in many ways, they are like the Patriots light. If you ask me, uh, I love what they're doing. They're just building a solid roster of players. They do not have that one superstar. You know, Tua is not Tom Brady, but they're just they're just they're deep. They're deep at every position. Every position has a quality player. Um, I really like what the Miami Dolphins are doing. That's a it's going to be a really really good team. Yeah. Uh, certainly so. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Tua. Pressure's going to be on him now. He gets his weapon in Jalen Waddle. And then you see a team like the Eagles who make their move to get Devonta Smith at 10. You know, young quarterbacks with some question marks there and Tua and Jalen Hurts. It, it makes you think, Bo, that the pressure is on these young guys that, hey, it's not – there's not the excuses. You got your weapons to work with. Now it's put up or shut up time for uh, some of these young quarterbacks here. Yeah, that's just the nature of the beast now in the league. It's it's these these young quarterbacks. They've already they're pretty well schooled. They've played it, you know. They've played in college. They've already been coached really well at the college level, even the high school level before that. And they're just being told, "Hey, you got to swim right now. We're going to give you what we need to be successful." But to do this, we need you to do your part. And teams are going to start moving away from these young quarterbacks quickly and cutting bait if they don't like what they see. Uh, you know, we saw that with Trubisky already. I wouldn't be surprised if Tua has a bad season, if the Dolphins do something there. 
Um, you know, uh, look at what just happened with Jared Goff. You know, the Rams said, nope, thank you. We don't want you anymore. Um, you know, everybody's looking for, for getting the, the um, getting Patrick Mahomes, you know, that type of top-notch player, that Mahomes, Rodgers, Russell Wilson, but no one's going to be patient anymore. It's time to be out there and play right now. Yeah, uh, you got something to prove right away uh, yeah. with, uh, with these guys uh, on that jump. And, and also along those same lines, we mentioned with, with those two guys getting – former teammates, Joe Burrow, of course, getting Jamar Chase and, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence getting Travis Etienne. We saw a lot of teammates reuniting uh, there with high draft picks. Bo, we, we don't typically see that in the National Football League. That's a very rare thing. And throughout the draft weekend, that was kind of a common occurrence where teams were uh, drafting guys that played with each other. I would think too, that the pandemic probably had something to do with that with, uh, with, with these teams going off what they'd seen most of, of, of uh, these household names of sorts, uh, not getting to have the combine and getting to do the excessive scouting like they normally do either. Yeah. I think that's a part of it. Um, you know, I think also is that you just, you want your quarterback, these young quarterbacks to be, uh, comfortable. If, they, if you can get someone who's a safety net who's also a really good player, you know, why wouldn't you do that? And the, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, um, the Tua got one of his guys, one of his old school guys, and Dalen Hurts. It's like, hey, help these young guys out. If you can do that, get a really quality player, you know, you're seeing that from these school, from the, the, the kids, the guys, I say kids, they're younger than me, these guys who are coming from uh, the big schools because those are still quality players at most positions. You know, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the LHUs, that sort of thing. Yeah. How about the losers of the draft? Uh, who do you think really put themselves behind the eight ball? Didn't really help themselves out here. Well, I, I think the Texans were probably the team that didn't add as much as they should have or could have in a normal draft. I think a lot of that is lack of picks. I mean, they just have traded so many bad trades that it's just, you know, what are you going to do about that? Um, I still don't understand what the Raiders are doing. I, I you know, I, I, I've always been a John Gruden guy. I don't know what the hell him and Mike Mayock are doing. I, I really don't. I can't, I can't excuse him. Um, you know, maybe they, they know more than I do, but let's see. Um, so those are, those are the two. Hey, look, I think my favorite team, did a horrible job. I'm a New Orleans Saints guy. I thought we did an absolutely horrible job uh, to the point of I think the only good player they drafted was in the second or third round. I mean, like literally nobody else in that, that is worth it. Uh, their first round pick was a, was a dud, if you ask me. Everything else I saw, drafting Ian Book was a waste of a draft pick. I have a question for you. Okay. Has a coach and a general manager ever gotten as much leeway as Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis have off of winning one Super Bowl? Uh, no, never. They have. They won a Super Bowl 12 years ago. And somehow they still have jobs. Yeah, I mean, Sean Payton survived a year-long suspension. Most coaches yeah. would have been fired for that alone. Let alone but, still been there how many years later. I just it, – it's ridiculous. And I, I know we just ranted about this after the, after the first night of the draft, but that still just – it shocks me 
we see other franchises that even after a coach has, I mean, look at what the Eagles did just, just this past off season, you know, fire a coach that won a Super Bowl for him three years ago. You know, right. it, it's, it just befuddles me. They're, those are the three teams that'll go back to your original question. The Texans, the Raiders, the Saints were the three teams that I thought did the absolute worst in this draft. Um, you know, as you asked me who the best was, I think it was the Dolphins. Uh, you can argue some other teams. I'll, I kind of like what Jacksonville did. I don't really trust their organization, but, you know, there's teams who improved themselves and there's teams who stacked up chips to make them t- their teams deeper. And those three at the bottom didn't do either of those. Now, Bo, I, I hate it when I hear people use the term good fit because you really don't know. You're not in those organizations. You can't really say what is and what isn't a good fit. A good fit. Seems like a cop out. But what I would say is, who comes to mind that you looked at and said, okay, I think that will work. That seems like two entities that are on the same page that could work together well. What comes to mind to you as far as uh, you know that goes between an organization and a certain player that was picked? What are some things that come to mind from what you saw this weekend? Okay, the two that stood out to me that I just went, wow. That's a good fit. First one was Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields was absolutely perfect for the Chicago Bears and for what Matt Nagy wants to do. Um, you know, he didn't look too excited to be getting drafted by the Bears. I don't think that was more of the team, more than just the position. I think he was frustrated with dropping as far as he did. But that one to me, that jumped off the page. The other one here is local. I thought Nick Bolton was a great pick for the Chiefs. You know, yeah, he's a Missouri kid. Uh, I Throw that out. Nick Bolton is an athletic linebacker. And he's a guy who you can go out there, and he's not going to be your passer. He's a, he's a linebacker who can play all over the field. Um, you can put him out there in a 4-2, and he can play in the middle of the field. I mean, I really like what I see there. That's a guy that I really think is a good fit. Athletic. I mean, that's what they the Chiefs need on defense. They're going to need speed and athleticism. If you want to talk about it, you said you didn't like the, the idea of a good fit, but what jumps off the page, That those two jump off the page at me. Well, and, and you mentioned the Chiefs. I mean, here's a team that didn't have a first-round pick, got Orlando Brown, which was better than probably any player they could have gotten in that spot. I thought it was a really good trade. We've talked about that. But your other two picks, your first two picks, you found two starters. Nick Bolton's going to start right away. Creed Humphrey, who didn't allow a single sack at Oklahoma, one of the best linemen in the history of Oklahoma football, is probably going to be your starting center right away. I mean, for a team that was already good, Brett Brett Veach did a masterful job in what he was able to do with the two picks he had and not having a first-round pick. I thought he found two first-round talents. A great job by Veach. The rich get richer here. Yeah, I thought it was both good picks. And, and you forget the pick and then the trade. Um, I really – I don't mind – we talked about this last week. I don't mind the trade. You know, we talked about who won or who lost the trade. It was all going to come down to who drafted who. I thought both teams won on that trade now that you look at it. And I think that – man, I – Yeah, the Chiefs got a better player in the trade than they were going to get at that position. 
Right. And in an, and an important position as well. And what if they went got the best center they could get or the best, you know, nose guard? They got a left tackle. Yeah. And, and they got a, the, the, that second round pick ended up that they got from the Ravens ended up being Nick Bolton. So. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, I think that was a really good job. I think that we've got, uh, I think the Chiefs made a really good deal there. Um, you know, the, but those were two. If you go back to Nick Bolton and um, um, Justin Fields, I thought that uh, Etienne was a, was an interesting pick as well for the for the Jaguars. I think he could be a great fit there. Uh, again, just getting some weapons around Trevor Lawrence. I was a little, I would say, surprised, but I was kind of like, a, eh, for a second, knowing because they have a running back who had a great season. Um, I can't think of young man's right now. He's a fantasy football star uh, this past year. My son loves him. Um, but, I mean, it's like, okay, that, but that shows me as the franchise saying, okay, we've got to move forward. We've got to add pieces and keep moving. Don't rest on we've got something. Let's keep getting better. So there was some – that's the whole point of the draft is did you improve your team today? A number of teams did and a number of teams didn't. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, as far as that goes, we, we mentioned the quarterbacks uh, a little bit with Justin Fields going to the Bears uh, with the way that they stacked up. We knew the first two before the night began, it was going to be Trevor Lawrence going to uh, Jacksonville and Zach Wilson going to the New York Jets. But when you look at the rest of those quarterbacks, uh, all the way down to even Davis Mills going to Houston, Ian Book going to New Orleans, whatever it may be, what, what do you make of the landing spots for all those quarterbacks, I would think that uh, of the first round talents, most of them will see the field probably this season. Maybe Trey Lance doesn't. Uh, I, I would say that there's a good chance he does because of Garoppolo's injury history. But I, I would think that these guys uh, are, are probably going to see the field pretty fast here. Yeah, so um, I liked all the first round guys where they're going was fine. I still think the worst pick was Trey Lance. I I will not be convinced until as he sits out for a full year. And to me, that means the price the 49ers paid is too high to go up. I, I liken the idea of Trey Lance to the idea of Steve McNair 20 years ago. A great player. He was an MVP. He was co-MVP one year And I, but he had to sit out for two full seasons to go from that lower level to the NFL. Now, I don't know that Trevor Lance had to sit out for two seasons, but he's never played a high level of quarterback. And that bothers me. When we saw the 49ers moved up, we were told, you know, everybody was told it's either going to be Trevor Lance or Mac Jones. You know, I thought they were both pretty bad ideas. But, you know, I, I, they went with Trey Lance. I didn't think that was a very good, a very good choice given well, what the 49ers traded to get there. And they could have probably picked him at their original spot. I think so. You know, but, you know, again, I'm not here to – I don't know what other people are thinking. I'm only here to, know, to see what I can see. I just – I don't know that I like the, the, the fit there. Um, you know, what it tells me is that Jimmy Garoppolo is their quarterback for 2021, which means they think they can win with him. Mm-hmm. That's a team that's 
you know, you're either building for 2022 or trying to win in 2021. And the 49ers, by the other moves and the way their team looks now, they are clearly trying to win now. They're in what I think is the most competitive division. Every team in that division is good. Um, you know, there are no there are no easy games there. I think they're in a lot of trouble if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. That's a team that – and now they've drafted Trey Lance. They cannot get into the Aaron Rodgers situation uh, if that's going to be a situation. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. I I did not like that pick. Um Let's see, the other first-round quarterbacks, I mean, Lawrence is Lawrence. He's number one. My only problem with Zach Wilson is simply this. It's not a knock on Zach Wilson, but do we trust the Jets? No. I mean, that's – do we trust the Jets? No. Now you got a new new coach, new GM. You know, I tend to give people the, the benefit of the doubt. But it's the I same like team their- that drafted Sam Darnold three seasons ago, and you know, he's already he, – he's in Carolina now. I mean, I, I liked their coach hire and Robert Sala. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a good hire. I thought but so, too. Everything else within the organization screams this is not going to work out. This is going to be a disaster for Zach Wilson to start his career. Yeah, I, it's the organization. And we just – why would we Robert give – Robert at all. Yeah. Why do we want to give the Jets any um, – why do we not want to question the pick? Why do we give the Jets any benefit of the doubt? Have they earned it? They haven't earned my benefit of the doubt. That team's awful. And they haven't had a quarterback since Jesus had short pants. I mean, they haven't had a quarterback since Joe Namath. Right. Yeah. So I just, I, I, that's the way I look at it. I, that one, I was a little concerned. Again, I thought about Lance was a bad, I thought Lance was a bad pick. I thought Fields was a great pick in a great spot. And then comes Matt Jones. Now, for Matt Jones, that's the perfect place to be, New England. You get to go to the best team of the five quarterbacks. Um, I think he's a bust. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think he's a bust. I think he's got a dad bod. If he looks like that at 21, what's he going to look like at 31? Um, I mean, to play devil's advocate here, I'd say that uh, things worked out well for Big Ben. Yeah, but that's he's a special kind of athlete. Mac Jones is fat. Mac Jones played at Alabama where everybody can play around him. I mean, he had skill position guys. He had the best offensive line. He never got touched, and he threw to guys that were butt naked wide open. I mean, I think a lot of players could be successful at Alabama at quarterback. I don't like – it's a little different than Tua and Jalen. And they're athletic. Right. You can see them make plates. Mac Jones just kind of drove the truck. And, and I, I, he's not going to have where the team around him in New England is going to be demonstratively better than every team they play. Right. And he I, had I that at Alabama. He, I think he's Matt Castle 2.0. Now, Matt Castle and that's a is – Right. Matt Castle as a seventh-round pick is a solid career for a seventh-round pick. Matt Castle as a first-round pick is a bust. Yeah, I, I think it's a – I, 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 
it makes me question if Belichick's trying very hard. I mean, I mean, he's a little bit of saying, hey, I'm Bill Belichick and you're not, and that's great, but he's never really developed a quarterback. You could say that he developed Tom Brady, but Tom Brady kind of fell into his lap. And I think we've all seen that that's – and I'm not saying off a one-year success in Tampa. I think we've seen his whole career that Tom Brady's the different kind of cat. Right. And, and that's not like, you know, all of a sudden – uh, when the Patriots drafted Tom Brady, they didn't go, oh, this is going to be the next guy. And yeah. I just think that that's – I think it was a foolish pick. I see what they're doing. You know, obviously, um, you know, the Patriots uh, – Bill Belichick's got a great relationship with Nick Saban. And I know that they've done extensive work. The Patriots, I say they, have done extensive work on Mac Jones just not convinced and, and i will change my mind if i see some things this this first couple seasons but um you know he better sit out the season too i you mean know? new england is not going to win more than eight or nine games anyway might as well play cam as while you have him yeah they're, they're going to use an abuse they're going to use cam i mean he's they're, they're just going to use him, abuse him, throw him away after this season. And that's too bad because, honestly, this season and his time in New England is going to keep Cam Newton out of the Hall of Fame. You think so? I do. Yeah, yeah I, don't think he's had a, I don't think he's had a lot of pieces around him last year and this year. And I think that's going to reflect really poorly on him later. Not even his fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I, I just uh, that bothers me a little bit. But I thought that was bad. Other quarterbacks, um, I got to think of who went where. Uh, where did Kyle Trask end up? Remind me on that one. Uh, Kyle Trask, he uh, ended up in uh, in Tampa Bay, second round pick. Tampa. Yeah, it's a good fit for playing behind Tom Brady. I mean, that's a, a you know he's a, he's a he's a project, and he's a project that you again who are you going to play behind? Who's going to be there to help lead you? Um, after the other great Kellen Mond, I ended up with the team. Oh God, who got Kellen Mond? I liked it. Whoever it was, I can't think of off the top of my head now. Kellen Mond ended up with Minnesota. Yes, I liked that pick. What I really liked about that pick was, have you seen yet uh, the Robert Griffin quotes on this yet? I did. The videos of Robert Griffin. Robert Griffin liked the pick because you can tell he don't like he don't like the guy who's the uh, Hall of Famer at the bank at the bank teller. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins. What do we say about Kirk Cousins? Every time, Every time he, he gets a paycheck, he's, he's stealing, stealing money. money. And no, I think um, I I think that was a really good pick for the Vikings. I think the Vikings have put a really athletic quarterback out there and Kirk Cousins is going to go, well, I might be carrying a clipboard for part of this season, but he'll get, he's still going to be a hero at the bank. So, you know, good for him on that, but I'm not as high on Kellen Mond as you. Are. I, I think I like Kellen. I like Kellen Mond because I think they've got weapons around him. Having a run game is going to really help him having a run game. He's got Justin Jefferson out there wide. He's got Adam, uh, Adam Thielen, I I think that's a, uh, they got some some things out there. I can see that being a I don't look. He ain't gonna go out there and be again. He's not gonna go out there and be a Hall of Fame. 
but I like it, I like the situation. This is where I, I disagree. I don't think Kellen Mond's ever going to see the field in Minnesota. I think Kellen Mond's going to be the starting quarterback in 2022. I, I would I would take that bet right now. I don't think so. I think I, I got a friendly dollar with you on that one. Then okay, we'll put I'll take on. a friendly dollar on that one. Um, the other one that jumped off the page, I mean, I saw the alert and I about threw my telephone this weekend was when my wonderful, great New Orleans Saints took Ian Book. I wanted to walk up and punch Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton in the face. Um, it's, the waste, it's just a waste of a pick. I mean, I, people are going to say, well, he's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. That's great. You know who the winningest quarterback was in Notre Dame history before him? Who's that? It was Tony. It was Tony Rice. Oh. Say the words. Who? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Tony. Tony Rice did win a national championship the other day, but he didn't play in the NFL. I. I, I don't even think Ian Book's a, a, an athletic player. I just think he's he doesn't make he's a lot of mistakes. Right. He doesn't turn, he he turn the ball right. over. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's got a rag arm. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I don't think he's a CFL quarterback. He might be an XFL quarterback. I think Ian Book is a uh, you know future uh, alumni association uh, representative of Notre Dame. That's it. Yeah, he's gonna. He, it won't be long till Ian Book is at home doing cameos, fifty bucks a pop. Right for all those Notre Dame weirdos, you know. Notre Dame, we, yeah, yeah. I got one of those in the family, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that one, yeah, that one to me, I was like, that was a terrible one to me as well. But okay, um, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, how about uh, Green Bay here? This situation with Aaron Rodgers. We we talked about this on Thursday, and and you know, with them not even drafting, let alone a skilled position player, but an offensive player in the first round, knowing that their quarterback wasn't happy with everything that was unfolding there. I mean, that was just a slap in the face to Aaron Rodgers. That was just a big F you to Aaron Rodgers. And he has every right to be upset, every reason to want out of there right now. Um, I, I would say things are probably pretty bad in Green Bay. A little trouble in paradise right now. I, I would be shocked if Green Bay, if uh, Aaron Rodgers ever takes another snap from the Green Bay Packers at this point. Because uh, as Brett Favre mentioned on Wednesday, I don't think he's bluffing here. I mean, he's got – you know, all sorts of opportunities after football and, and such. I mean, he doesn't have to play for Green Bay. He doesn't have to play football if he doesn't want to. Yeah, he, he stacked away the cash already. You know, I, I do think he'll continue. I think there's a road in which you can make it work. Um, that, in, that makes that you have to trade Jordan Love. Um, he had to fire the GM and fire a few other people too. Yeah, I mean he's gonna. I mean the first step has to be Jordan Love has to go because Rodgers has made it clear that now does he want to play? He wants to play into his forties. He's still three, three or four years away from that. Um, you know, I I think it's best for all parties for the Packers to trade Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that this is a relationship that clearly is irreconcilable at this point. Um, you know, the difficult part is the salary cap part of it. If it does happen, it ain't happening until June the 1st. Um, so no, we're still going to be speculating about this for another month. Um, 
I think it can happen. I don't know that it will. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if come July, Aaron Rodgers just says, you know what? I'm pulling a Jim Brown. I'm not going to play for you guys. I'm retiring. And he just, he's just done with the Packers. The Packers organization has done not done right by, by Aaron Rodgers, in my view. Um, it, we, we see it. We just talked about We just spent five, 10 minutes talking about what teams are doing for young quarterbacks. And the Green Bay Packers have refused to do that. They have flat refused to put pieces, you know, high-quality first-round pieces around their superstar quarterback. You know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is the single most talented quarterback I have ever seen. I don't think anybody in the history of the game is as talented the position of quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is. However, he has never had the pieces around him. That organization has never supported him. You look at what Tom Brady did for the Patriots. You look at what the Patriots did for Tom Brady. You look at what Peyton Manning did for two organizations, the Colts and the Broncos. They both did for him. Drew Brees, for years and years, he drafted first round and second round guys, put pieces around him. The Packers flat refused to do it. They insulted him last year drafting a quarterback. They insulted him this year. All they had to do was draft a receiver, a tight end, something, a skill position guy. There was plenty of them available in the first round, and they didn't do it. Here's what irritates me, too. And I'm not a Packer fan. You know, I'm not an Aaron Rodgers lover either, just from an outside perspective. What irritates me, what grinds my gears, Bo, is, okay, take back, go, go to the Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck situation. Andrew Luck was a generational talent. Everybody said, okay, Indy, you can't pass an Andrew Luck. We understand. That's a guy that you can't, you got an opportunity, you got to go. He's there. No one has looked at it, Jordan Love and said, oh, my gosh, like, Green Bay, you, you can't let go of this guy who's right in your lap. This is a once-in-a-generation player. I mean, there's no one was making any trade offers for Jordan Love. There was nothing that stood out about Jordan Love that he brought to the table. There's, there's a lot of flaws in Jordan Love's game there. And so if, if this was Trevor Lawrence in this situation, I think we're having a different story. But this yeah. is Jordan Love here. That, to me, is what a big issue that not enough people are talking about here is that it's that quarterback. It's not that they draft just any quarterback to be his replacement and, and put this insult out there. But the fact that it was this guy, I mean, you, you think yeah. he's really – you think this guy is, is the future and not the current league damn MVP? Yeah, I mean, you could say, well – and I can hear some, I've heard people say this week about, well, Rogers should have known because, you know, he was drafted late in the first round when Favre was there. Hey, look, if you knew anything about that draft, you know that it was an argument up till, up till the last minute on who goes first, first overall. Right. And the so other one was going to fall to the 20. And the other one was going to drop like a rock, like a rock in a, in a, in a lake. But, um, you know, you have to take Aaron Rodgers if you had a chance. That was a great job. You know, back then, 
this was just horrible, especially in a league where when you've got the guy, you stick with the guy. Every team's looking for the guy. And the, the Packers just, I, I don't understand what they're doing. You know, they have, uh, it, it's already hard enough. You don't have guys who want to be there. It's, you know, it's Green Bay. It's not a place you want to spend the winter. You're not going to want to spend the offseason training there. Um, you got to have a quarterback. When you have that guy, you got to have that guy to buy in so that you can get everyone else to follow him. And when you piss that guy off, how do you think the other 52 guys on the roster think, think of your franchise? I just, if I was the Packers, and this is also the fact that the Packers do not have one owner. They don't have the one person in the end that says, screw you, you're fired. And that's, that's been a problem for them for a generation now, really for two generations. It's why the Packers haven't won except for one time with Favre and one time with Rodgers. They got to have someone who can hold their front office accountable. They haven't done that. There is no way this happens with any other owner in the NFL, except yeah. for the Brown family who owns the Bengals. They're just all idiots there. Um, but I mean, it's because the publicly held team, you know, everybody has their little stick, has their little stock certificate in their house. If you're a Packer fan, you know, but again, you got to have one managing partner, one Al Davis, one Jerry Jones, um, you know, one Clark Hunt, one voice that says that holds everybody accountable from mm -hmm. the top down. The Packers don't have that, and because of that, they got a general manager running rogue over everything, and it's going to ruin that franchise and that team for a long time. Last thing on uh, on Aaron Rodgers here. Um... It sounds like, you know, the Packers, of course, want him out of the NFC. Aaron wants to go West Coast. If that's the case, then you're only down to two options at that point, Denver and Las Vegas. Both of those, though, are in the same division as the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who you'd face twice a year. Uh, what do you think about the options for Aaron Rodgers there? Uh, is, is, it, is that it, just Denver and, and Vegas at this point? Well, you and I have talked offline about this a little bit. I, I think I have five teams that are possible landing spots. Um, and in those five, I think only three are serious. Uh, the five teams were, you just mentioned the Raiders. You mentioned the Broncos. These are, those are obviously the favorites. I, the third one's the Saints. Now, the salary cap's the nightmare there. The other two are teams that can get need a quarterback but don't know if the franchise is an attractive place for Rodgers, and that's Washington and Houston. Houston's going to be out. There's nobody wanting to go there, not anybody of Aaron Rodgers' level. Washington, but again, you're in the NFC. New Orleans is in the NFC. I don't see that happening. Yeah, you're going to have to have a bidding war between the Raiders and the Broncos. Um, I think that the more likely is the Raiders. I think the Raiders can send some draft capital over, maybe give them Derek Carr, who's on a one-year one year left on his deal. Um, you know, that's really kind of the best option. But I think about this, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, going to the AFC West is no joke. Now, let's, yeah, let's hypothesize for a minute. North too. 
Yeah, let's hypothesize this just for a moment that it's, it's Denver. Okay? So let's say he goes to Denver. That's probably the better team to go to if they have a great quarterback. So you get Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver. He plays Kansas City twice. You play an improving Chargers team with a young quarterback in Herbert, Justin Herbert, who I really think is going to be outstanding. And the Raiders have Derek Carr, who is a solid quarterback. He's one of those middle of the line, 15 to 20, you know, out of, out of the 32 teams. That's a tough division. And I think it's tough when it's top heavy on the top three, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and then whichever of the two teams Rodgers goes to. So hear me out. Here's why I think it's a bad idea for Rodgers. If you go to that division, only two of those teams are getting in the playoffs. It's too difficult to get three teams from a division in the playoffs. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you have to tell yourself, okay, am I the difference that takes the Raiders from what nine and seven last year? Maybe it was eight and eight. Eight and eight, yeah. Am I good enough to get them to 12 and four? Because that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to skip over the Chargers who frankly have a much d- deeper team right now. Yeah. And you're going to have to skip over them because you're not going to be ahead of the Chiefs. Right. So I, 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 I wonder that. Show, Bo, that uh, I think Aaron Rodgers makes the playoffs with about 60% of franchises in the league right now. Yeah. Um, well, it, but, you know, I mean, you're talking about, okay, if you go to Denver or Las Vegas, the division's almost already out of the question before you even arrive. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes it to where you're playing for the wild card. Right. And then you're having to say, okay, well, am I good enough alone? And maybe he is. But is he good enough alone to make them the second, the second best team at division? You know, he's not going well, to – the, the Packers will not trade him in division. Mm-hmm. They really don't need to. I mean, the Bears have got a quarterback now. The Lions have a quarterback. And the Vikings have two of them. Um, this is why I think that – if Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton would like to get back into my good graces, this is why they need to be making that phone call. They need to be offering the house for Aaron Rodgers. Because now you're in a division, if you're Aaron Rodgers, where you are clearly on either the best or the second best team. You could argue the Saints with Aaron Rodgers are better than the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll hear the argument both ways. I'll hear the argument that the Bucs are better, too. But at least you know you're in. There's not a third team in that division that's playing for a playoff spot. Right. So you know you're in the, you're in the tournament. And that's what matters. The other two spots, again, Washington would be a good spot because you know you can win the division most likely. But how great is that team beyond – I do like Chase Young a lot. But how great is that team and the weapons he has there? Is he good enough to then – get him into the playoffs, and even if they win the division, is he good enough to then go up against, you know, whoever wins the West? You know, there's going to be a couple of teams out there that come out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the yeah. next team in the, in, the, in the North, is that going to be the Vikings? Is that going to be the Packers without Aaron Rodgers? Is that going to be the Bears mm-hmm. with a new young quarterback that's athletic? I think that's going to be important to Aaron Rodgers too. I think you have to look at that. Now, if I had to predict – I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded to the Denver Broncos. I do too. Yep. Yep. If he, if there's a trade, I think it's Denver. I think if you're the Packers, 
you've got to go to Aaron Rodgers and say, okay, make a list, homeboy, what you want. Mm-hmm. And it's a new contract. It's the fire GM. It's go tell us who you want in 2022 and free agency. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make it happen. Yeah. All right. One more thing before we go real quick. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about this more. Uh, Thomas and I will hear just a bit. Uh, Lance uh, Leipold, the new head coach of Kansas, the uh, hiring made there that bring over from Buffalo. You're in Lawrence. What'd you make of the decision uh, for KU to uh, hire Leipold there? Um, I don't know a lot about him, to be perfectly frank. Um, I don't dislike the hire. I just don't, I'm not educated enough on him. Um, you know, there's going to be some talk that, you know, a coach from Buffalo, didn't KU hire a coach from Buffalo, you know, so many years ago when they hired Turner Gill? You know, I, yeah, I don't know how good a fit it is. I think KU could get back up against the wall. It's just a, it's a bad time to hire a football coach. You're not going to have a, a smorgasbord of, of choices here. You might have the worst football program of, the power, of all the Power Five schools. So I don't know if it's a terrible pick, if it's a great pick. I just don't have a real good feel on this one. I'm rooting for him. I yeah. want to see KU do well in football. Um, and I just – I know so many people over there that I like that I want to see them do well. Um, I'm a little underwhelmed, but I'm not surprisingly underwhelmed only because there was nobody that I was going to look at and go, hmm, that was a good pick. Because there's nobody like that available right now. Yeah, I thought that Jeff Munkin would have been that. He was my first choice. And, and he, he was mine as well from Army. I, and and but, they chose Leipold but that offense is going to be an issue. That offense is going to be an issue in the Big 12. Right. He would have run not even a, a triple option, but a, a spread power option apparently was according yeah. to what they talked about. But uh, I'll say this about what I think we can come to a solid conclusion with Leipold with making this hire now, I thought, you know, early on that there was no way that they would hire somebody that they would just go ahead and go with an interim for the rest of this year and then hire a coach in November or December. Um, But then, you know, for them to make this hire now, I think the message is they believe they had to hire Leipold now or someone else was going to have him hired uh, by the end of next year, that this was a move that they felt they needed to make now, move quickly, that they like him enough that they didn't want to lose him. <laughs> yeah, I I just – I don't think he was that good a hire. I don't think he was that good a hire that you got to go, well, if we don't get him now, we're not going to get him next year. Because you don't know who else is available at the end of next season. Yeah. So I, I don't think – again, I don't think it was the greatest hire. I don't think it was the worst. I just – think that their hands are cuffed here um you know the, the reason you have to make a hire though is you have to make a hire because you still got to recruit you can't have an interim guy recruit yeah uh, you got to have a plan and i think that's part of it i think it's a big part of it honestly um yeah i i don't have a real good feel for what they're doing here with this one i just yeah yeah i I wish them all the best. And, God, I want to see them do well. I want to see them get players in there. I want to see that stadium fill up. I want to see the school commit to it. I want to see the I want to see the university and their fans commit to being good at football. Yeah, I agree. Ball, it'll be a lot of fun, uh, certainly, as uh, we get closer to the fall. And uh, mm-hmm. next week, 
I want to look ahead to the 2022 draft. I know that sounds a little crazy, but we will. So we'll look forward to that then. Bo, appreciate the time as always. I didn't have to bleep you once this week. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Hey, thanks a lot, Tyler. Y'all have a great week. There you have it. That is Coach Bo's football fix. We appreciate Bo for stopping by as always. Got a few more things before we run here. I want to start out with the NBA. We're getting close to the NBA playoffs. You heard some NBA discussion with Jordan there a little while ago. And we got to start out with what LeBron said about the play-in tournaments. He said that the play-in tournament, whoever created it, should be fired, that it was a bad idea. And it was LeBron James who was arguing for a play-in tournament to happen last year, if you recall. Now, granted, that was with the circumstance of COVID and everybody you know, not getting all their games in of sorts, but it looks like that for the most part, everybody is going to have their games in or pretty close. But nonetheless, it's also convenient because the Lakers are not far off from having to be in the play-in tournament themselves. That could happen here. And the way this play-in tournament works, um, if you are in the seven versus eight game and you win, you're in. If you're in the 9-10 game, you got to win two games and you're in. So, I mean, it's not a crazy possibility. I mean, it would still take a lot to happen, obviously. But LeBron and the Lakers could be in the play-in tournament and be, you know, two games away from being eliminated before the playoffs even start. So, uh, with that all being said, Tom, you know, I don't mind the playing tournament. I don't have enough of a sample size, I think, to really make judgment one way or the other. But, I mean, at the end of the day, though, th- this is where I look at with maybe one of the reasons why I, I probably am not opinionated or-, or care that much about whether we have a playing tournament or not is that the lower seeds have been so irrelevant in the playoffs anyway. I mean – you know, I look back, what was it? The Warriors in the Baron Davis days beat the Mavs as the 8-1 matchup. But really, we haven't seen those lower seeds really be that competitive anyway. I mean, uh, to me, this is just another way for the NBA to sell some more tickets and make some more money, manufacture some drama here. I don't mind it, but I don't hate it either. I, I see where LeBron's coming from, but you can't ignore the hypocrisy either. Yeah, I mean, the only reason he said that uh, is because they're facing the play-in tournament and he doesn't think they should should be because they they just, you know, do enough to get in in the freaking playoffs and and then they're fine. So this is just more that they have to do. Um, you know, I, I guess it's beneficial for the, you know, for the, the better teams or the ones with the better record that, you know, stops you from taking games off, I suppose, which I get that. Um, as a fan of a team that's trying to make the play-in, uh, that I'm not sure should even try to make the play-in, maybe just, uh, you know, take the L and move on and go to, um, you know, go to the get another player in the draft. I, I mean, I get it, but the only reason LeBron said that is because the Lakers are potentially facing a play-in. Uh, I'm sure he's obviously not happy about that, considering he has the most minutes on his body. But uh, that's that's how the cookie crumbles. So, um, 
you know, I don't know. I don't think this will be a year in and year out deal. I would be shocked. I think they are giving a little test run, see what happens. Obviously, we're not in a bubble anymore. Um, so this this will be different. But, um, you know, I don't mind it for a year. See how it plays out. See what happens. I mean, just because LeBron doesn't like it doesn't mean we have to just conform to whatever he wants like it usually happens. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at those teams that would be in the playing tournament. You know, if the playing tournament started right now, in the West would be Portland, Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio. In the East would be Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington. Um, you know, Golden State could make things interesting, but I don't see them going to the conference finals. Miami could make things interesting, maybe give a competitive series in the East, but I don't see them going to the conference finals either. I mean, all this hula about the play in tournaments, whether they're necessary or whether they're not, whatever it may be here. In, in actuality, I don't think that they make that much of a difference either way. No, neither do I. I don't think they make a difference at all, to be honest. Um, I mean, we've seen we've seen teams, you know, um, you know, try to get in, try to make it to the eighth seed, and then get ounced. 4-0 in the first round and be, you know, that be it. I guess if, you know, you were like this for a while trying to keep a playoff streak alive, sure, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, would you not rather just have a higher pick in the draft if you knew you were going to get bounced out 4-0 embarrassingly? Uh, I mean, now that's not to say the Jazz can't be beat or that the Suns might get bounced out in the first round. A lot of, a lot of people are saying the Suns will get bounced out in the first round. Um, just lack of playoff experience and, uh, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, make those lower seeds play some more games uh, if, if that's what you want to do. Uh, I mean, the we talk about it, the West. I mean, uh, you know, it is, as I think it currently stands, is it Jazz Suns right now? I mean, those are the most unorthodox teams to be one and two. If you would have told me, you know, five years ago, Suns and – Jazz would be top seeds in the in the Western Conference. I would laugh at you. Um, right. But, you know, who's to say Golden State can't take down the Suns if they were to face them? You know, it can. It, I think it could happen this year. Um, but usually we see those teams get housed. Um, right. So maybe this is the year for it. Maybe not. But. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It would be really funny if the Lakers had to do the play in and somehow miss the playoffs. That would be the league would not let that happen. I don't Wouldn't that think. be beautiful if that happened? Oh, it would it would be it would be one of the better things to see uh from a non Lakers standpoint. I mean, Tom, I know I sound like a hater here, but I'm okay to admit that. The the number one thing I want, and I know it's unlikely. But what I find myself with, with my team, with the Thunder eliminated from the postseason already uh, before it's even started, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're mathematically out. The thing I'm rooting for is that the Nets or Lakers don't win the title. That's all I'm holding out for at this point. Yeah, I think anybody that's not a, a Nets or Lakers fan is, is as long as they don't win, you know, whatever. Um, 
because at that point, at this point, that's what it, it's basically come down to. Because we don't, you know, we're not trying to encourage super teams. Right. Uh, you know, we if it's not our team, it's not a super team. We don't want it, and I get that a hundred percent. I'm if my team is not a super team, I don't want any. Right. But you know. Yeah, I guess if I could have, if I guess I could pick a team to win it that's not the Spurs, I would probably want Boston, uh, just because I like their players and Marcus Smart, or you know maybe some sneaky team. I'm not a big fan of the Seventy Sixers, but do they have a shot to do it? I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um. How about uh? How about Russell Westbrook? Uh, if the rest of the year, if he went uh, zero, zero, and zero on points, rebounds, and assists, he would still average a triple double for the season. Uh, pretty remarkable those numbers there for Russell Westbrook uh, with the year that uh, that he's having here. But you know he's doing it on a a bad team. I mean Washington. Um, is uh, is in bad shape. You know, they've only won, what is it, 30 games at this point. Uh, you know, what, why, Tom, are people dismissing the success that Russell Westbrook has had? Is it because that Russell Westbrook's, his, his best years have been on, you know, average to below average teams? Or is it, you know, is he just kind of forgotten about playing in, you know, you know, mid to small markets in Washington and in Oklahoma City here? Why is he not getting that level of respect? I feel like Russell Westbrook is one of the greatest point guards we've ever seen in this game. I know he doesn't have a ring, but with all the stats that he's put up, the MVP that he's won, um, you know, where he's at, Russell Westbrook, to me, is the all, one of the all-time greats, but continues to get disrespected. Why is no one uh, giving Russell Westbrook the respect he deserves for this great run he's on now and really uh, for his whole career? Yeah, I think it's maybe because the title. Uh, you know, it's – I think that has a whole lot to do with it. If he would have had a title, maybe he's – you know, we're talking about something different, but – it's just been so many years that he's done this and, you know, nothing's come out of it. It's not his fault. I think he should be respected more. But, uh, you know, as fans, I feel like we've made it about the rings, you know, not about the stats. And so now we're making the bed that, you know, we're, we're making – essentially making the bed or laying in the bed we've made. Sorry. Um, and, yeah, you know – you can feel about that however you want to feel about that, but it, it shouldn't take away from what Ru Russell Westbrook's doing. I mean, the Wizards were on like an eight-game win streak. Uh, for the Wizards, I feel like that's pretty good. Um, but not a whole lot of help. Obviously, you know, John Wall's not there. Bradley Bills had a hell of a season, too. Uh, he's not getting the respect that he deserves. It's just, uh, you know, when you're on a team that no one cares about, like the Washington Wizards, that, you know, that'll happen. And then after KD left uh, Oklahoma City um, in that whole breakup, it didn't really matter anymore, I guess. Uh, it was, you know, that time was over and everyone just wrote, you know, those players off unless they went to a super team. A lot of people thought 
that it would be James Harden and Russell Westbrook teaming back up in Houston. It was not. That broke up. And obviously James Harden got the probably better end of the deal. Um, so, you know, he's going to continue to get disrespected. I don't think is even if, even if everyone in the world listened to this show, they're going to change their mind. Um, and sometimes it's self or it's not self-conscious. It's unconscious bias that we, that we look at, uh, when we talk about players and if they don't have a ring, that unconscious bias will kick in and, you know, some things you can't change. But even then, like you mentioned, James Harden, there's a guy that doesn't have a ring. Um, now he'll probably get one this year, but there's a lot of guys that don't have rings and yet continue to get more respect than Russell Westbrook. To me, it's just absurd. You know, it would be nice if people besides us actually appreciated what Russell Westbrook is doing this year and what he's done throughout his entire NBA career. I mean, he is I mean, all time greats, and I don't feel like enough people are are saying that, uh, appreciating what Russell Westbrook's done. But no, they're not. They're he's not. The greatest but player in the Harden, history of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he's probably a top five point guard to ever play the game. Harden is on the Nets. If it was Russell Westbrook on the Nets putting up those numbers, we would be talking about him. It's it, a lot of it. I feel like comes down to win loss. Um, and if your team's not on the up and up or as a threat to win the, the, the championship, then it doesn't matter how many points you put up. I mean, granted now, if you broke 81, then yeah, maybe, but um, sure. for most of the time, it's, it's, I mean, we've, and, and Jones, another thing we've come to expect this from Russell Westbrook. Uh, I mean, Mr. Triple Double essentially himself. So, it's almost bigger news if he doesn't put up a triple-double. As bad as that sounds, I'm just being real. We've come to expect it from him, so when he does it, it's so not really that big of a deal. So you're changing the goalposts in the middle of the game is what you're saying with Russell Wilson. I mean, I'm not. I'm just saying how it is. You're saying other people are changing the goalposts during the middle of the game. I mean, it's just, you know, if if he keeps doing it every single night, then doesn't make it a special, and that doesn't mean that's it's not a special. That's where the perception is wrong from the folks that believe that uh, you're, you're not in the right state of mind if you just come to expect that. You should still be appreciating that. I know human nature is one thing, but um, we can't just take it for granted what Russell Westbrook's doing. This is something else. But we'll, uh, we'll move on. One more thing before we get to our uh, Tom Fullery uh, story of the week. Uh, Kansas football has a new head coach. That is uh, Lance uh, Leipold from Buffalo. And last week on this show, we told you that um, we expected that Jeff Munkin from Army was going to be the next head coach at Kansas. It looked like, from all indications, things pointed that way. But at the 11th hour, KU goes in the direction of, of Leipold of Buffalo. And that, that was the guy that they wanted, that uh, we haven't heard anything that Munkin turned them down or anything, that he was very interested, that they just liked Leipold more. And Leipold won six national titles at the D3 level, was very successful at Buffalo, had a good run there with that program. Now comes to Kansas. He's in his mid-50s. This was a guy that a couple years ago had the number one passing offense in the country. The following season, he brings back the same quarterback. Quarterback gets hurt. And so he adapted accordingly and ended up having the number one rushing offense in the country that year. And, you know, they won a lot of games in Buffalo in that stretch. 
And, you know, one, one of the things I think that we talked about with, with the idea of why we liked Munkin was his ability to adapt that we're, we looked at this Kansas roster and said, okay, yeah, you got to do something different than what everybody else is doing. You got to be able to run the football. Can't, you know, beat these big 12 teams doing the same thing, beat them at their own game, throwing the football. You have to find a weakness in that running the football, running a spread option of some sorts that Munkin was wanting to do would bring that to the table. I think based on his track record, what he did at the D3 level, what he did at Buffalo, you can look at Lance Leipold and say that he is going to find what's best for Kansas to succeed, that he can look at this roster and say, all right, what can I work with here? And just figure that out, that he could say, okay, we have these guys that are suited to do this. This is our best chance to succeed. And, you know, you're a Kansas program that sure is a lot better off talent-wise than you were two, three, even four years ago. But you still got a long ways to go. You're still trying to bring in Big 12 talent of sorts. I think if you're trying to find something that – to be optimistic, you know, some selling point of this hire is that you found a coach that can adapt – that can work with his personnel, that his track record says we're going to find a way to make this work and, and work with the personnel that's there. That it's not a thing of, all right, you know, you got to give me this amount of time to get my players in my system, and then we're going to go from there. No, they're going to hit the ground running. He's going to work with what he's got. So I respect that out of uh, Lance Leipold, and that's what, I, that's what I like most about this hire so far, Tom. Yeah, I mean, that he's able to adapt because he's going to need it at, at Kansas for sure. Um, they're going to have to figure it out. And and I'm just hoping this is not a wash, rinse, repeat that it usually is every four years. Uh, we've come to essentially expect that. Granted, uh, you know, less miles wasn't that. We didn't really foresee that. And I think if that doesn't come up, I still think he could have somewhat succeeded at Kansas or at least got them to a bowl game. Um but, you know, there is there is hope. Um, but you did say on on last week's show, I believe that this was the last hope. Um, so I, I think he is he would I think he probably essentially knows that that this is, you know, he's going to a, I hate to call him the last chance you. Um, but uh I think he understands what's at stake for the program as a whole, that they just can't keep going through this, that they have to, have, you know, find some sliver of success uh, to, to not just give up completely. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but um, you, uh, you could call this rock bottom, I'd assume. Yeah. I mean, this is as close as you can get. I, I think it's, um, it's not the worst shape KU's been talent-wise and scholarship-wise by any stretch. I mean, when it comes to the talent on that roster and the amount of scholarships that KU has available, you know, to work with and such, in that case, they're in the best shape they've been in a long time. Um, but the issue that is still there is the consistency in finding that guy to take him to the next stretch. It's the embarrassment that they've went through uh, of 
what occurred with Les Miles, what we found out in the last two months, I think that was the lowest of lows as far as the perception of the program, right? Um, you know, yes, you lost a lot of games. Yes, you had guys quit, transfer, leave, you know, all sorts of rumors and some stories that went on the last few coaches, but not when it came to, you know, sexual harassment, Okay, that was the lowest of the lows. Now you look at going forward, all right, you got a coach that knows how to adapt, that has a decent roster to work with, that has scholarships you know, available to use to run a normal program of some sorts. You have some facilities that are much improved from what they were. There's reason to be optimistic. I would say the difference now compared to the last – two or three coaches with Lance Leipold is he is more, even with the embarrassment the program's been under the last few months, Tom. Leipold is by far, far more set up to succeed than any of the past three or four coaches there at Kansas. Probably most set up to succeed since Turner Gill. Yeah, I mean, they've they've had solid recruiting, it, it seems, so um, I mean, I wouldn't say he has all the pieces in place um, because I'd be being a little too generous, but he's got his work cut out for him. He knows what he has to do. And, you know, I don't know as much about him as, you know, that, that you do. So, but from the things that I've heard, it seems like, you know, this my this seems to be the right hire for KU at the time being. And, and you know, I, I think it's critical for for not only KU, but, for the rest of the teams in the Big 12 for, to have KU. Maybe they can still be bottom of the barrel and win on the schedule for the most part, but not be near as bad as they have been. Here's what, uh, you, here's what you want if you can. And, you know, what the realistic expectation should be. If you can get to a bowl game every other year, they'll be more than pleased. They might even build a statue for Lance Leipold. If he pulled that off, you do those things, fans are going to be just fine. Things are going to be great. Um, I think the dream, the pipe dream that you're looking at, the absolute best case scenario is for Kansas to be in the position that Iowa State is in right now. If you recall, before Matt Campbell showed up in Ames, Kansas and Iowa State were at the same level of mediocrity at the bottom of the barrel of the Big 12. And since then, Matt Campbell's taken off, and that Iowa State program is now competing for, you know, Big 12 championships. And, uh, you know, they've had a rise, but they've gotten better every single year throughout the way. It's been a great job, uh, what Matt Campbell's done. There's no reason why Kansas can't do what Iowa State is doing right now. But I think that's the absolute best-case scenario. I think that you put the bar at, all right, be a bowl team, and then hopefully you work your way up from there. And, and, and you know, I, I, I'll say this for, for Leipold. I have no reason to not think that he is going to succeed based on his own merits um, in the sense of that there's no lingering thing that says, okay, it won't work because of this thing that he does. He has not given me a reason to not believe at this point. I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt and think based on everything that points to, you know what? It looks like 
I think they got it right. If you was it my first choice, no, but I would sit here and say that you know he, he deserves a fair chance. That the track record it, it it speaks for himself. That's what I would look at, Tom, for realistic goals and where they're at right now. That's kind of how I'd measure it for this Kansas program. What's your expectation? Who's first off? Who's their out of conference teams they play this year? So this year, Kansas football will uh, play in their non-conference schedule for 2021. Uh, they're going to play Coastal Carolina on the road. Um, they're going to play South Lost. Dakota at home, and uh, they're going to play Duke on the road. Um, okay, so I could I could see him winning one of those, not Coastal Carolina. No, Coastal Carolina is going to be really good again. Um, I mean. You know, th th this year I think is going to be rough. Um, you know, and the coach wasn't there for spring ball to begin with anyway. Uh, you accepted that when you made that hire, you know, and announced it at the spring game. Uh, I think that this year is kind of a wash uh, going in. You know, you, you, you're looking at two, three wins, maybe. You, you hope for that. But it's really after this year that you really hope to get things going. Um, and, and, you know, with just all the programs been through in the last couple of months, I think you'd pretty much just have to accept that anyway. That's the cost of the, you know, you, you put this, this year, you don't even put on Leipold. You say this year is all falls on Les Miles and Jeff Long for putting Kansas in this position. This is his COVID year. Right. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. So yeah. It's Leipold's That's what we'll call coaches first years with no expectations from now on. Dubbed the COVID year. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Uh, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we are going to go to a – it looks like we're going to Nashville, okay? And so as everyone gets their vaccine and we're, we're, we're not back to normal yet, and I don't know if we'll ever, we won't ever be, in my opinion, back to before COVID. But there's live music taking place. And what do you know? It's at a Kid Rock show. And this is from Nashville. And the headline reads, this is from Consequence.net. Consequence Heavy. A literal shit show took place at Kid Rock's Nashville bar. Thanks to a man wielding a colostomy bag. The messy situation resulted in the suspect being charged with assault on two police officers. Um, article reads, uh, this was really bad, which are bad. A man with the, was arrested for wielding a colostomy bat at Kid Rock's National Bar over the weekend, and the details are quite messy. Police were called to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse. Though this was a steakhouse, not just a bar. You say you've been there? I said, I said oh, that's cool. Oh, I was like, oh, man. All right. On Saturday evening, following reports of an unruly man at the establishment, according to local NBC affiliate News 4 Nashville, police report that Nichols Newhart was inebriated in blocking the tavern's outside emergency exit while refusing security's demands to leave. When cops showed up, he apparently proceeded to take out his colostomy bag from his pants and began swinging it around. Disgustingly, at least two officers were hit with his feces. Newsweek, yes, this made Newsweek. 
got its hands on the official affidavit, which reads, when the Metro police officers arrived to the location to assist security, the defendant took out his colostomy bag from the inside of his front pants area and started to swing the bag around from left to right, hitting two of the Metro police officers with his feces. Newhart was officially charged with assault on the two Metro police officers, disorderly conduct, and public intox. A local Facebook group called Scoop Nashville was among the first outlets to pick up the story, further adding that some patrons were also hit with feces and that at least one officer had to leave work to change clothes. Kid Rock's big honky-tonk rock and roll steakhouse also made headlines last year when the tavern refused to adhere to social distancing guidelines issued by the mayor of Nashville. The establishment's beer permit was revoked by city inspector, prompting Kid Rock's business partner to declare the Nashville government is like communist. <laughs> Jones, um, I'm, I don't expect anything different from a Kid Rock honky-tonk rock and roll steakhouse. Uh, but that takes it to a new level. I mean, if I get hit while I'm eating dinner, yeah, my colostomy bag from a colostomy bag, I'm suing 100%. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I'm not the person that's too happy, not even close. But if that happens, it's done, <laughs> it's over. Um, I mean, I might even tackle the guy, I might even get a assault and battery charge because that's once see that's the thing too once you're already get hit by the shit you might as well just get hit with all of it <laughs> i'm taking them out I'm, i am stopping the shit show once the shit show has hit me <laughs> i mean now it's a wait a second and i feel bad because i almost do this unconsciously i feel like the last four tomfooleries have had to do with poop they always do now if you had to choose any celebrity out there that was going to be involved like his brand or whatever it may be isn't kid rock like one of the very first ones that would come to mind wouldn't you almost expect this out of kid rock oh a hundred percent i mean who else i mean i'm trying to think i mean this would never happen at toby keith's bar and grill Absolutely not. No, he, he loves that bar and grill. Who else has a bar and grill? Oh gosh, um, I'm trying to think of who else would this happen? Where else would this happen at? Oh man, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's not going to be a Toby Keith's thing. I mean, Toby, he, he's he's going to run a tight ship. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's not going to fly. He'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he's got beer for his horses. Right. Not for your costume bag. I mean, I feel bad for the guy because he has a costume bag. But, you know, when you get one of those, you know, it comes with great responsibility. Uh, I would never. <laughs> I would. I mean, you. I would have to be really drunk. To be doing all that. I mean, assault on two police officers. I mean, uh, he's not going to do too well in, in prison with a costume bag. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. I feel like, Tom, that I don't even need to look. I don't, I'm not trying to stereotype, but I feel like I don't even need to look at a picture of who this individual was to get an idea. Just by your description, 
and mentioning Kid Rock, I think we all have the same image in mind of what kind of individual this person looks like. I mean, he, I mean, looks like a guy. I, I, you know, I wonder, Jones, I, have you been to Nashville? Uh, not since I was a little kid. I need to go back. That's on my list. That, it's on my list, too. And uh, Somehow, as big of a music person that I am, I have never been to Nashville. And maybe I'm going to have to make that uh, a weekend trip of sorts. Like I, a need that not, I need that Nashville hot chicken. That and, you know, Nashville is is, you know, on the eastern side of Tennessee, where I feel like I could make a, a little trip out of it and go maybe to even into Kentucky and do the bourbon trail. That might have to be like a, a four or five day trip where I just figure out what Tennessee is all about. I mean, that would never have happened at a Dolly Parton bar and grill. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, Dolly, Dolly would have whooped his ass herself. <laughs> She would have had her straight. That's for damn sure. Um, if you were in Nashville and you could pick one person to hang out with in Nashville, who would it be? Oh, probably Chris Stapleton, honestly. Okay. I'm trying to think of who it would all be in Nashville. That or... Um, I think I'd choose Eric Church. Probably Derek Henry. <laughs> Derek Henry? <laughs> Ryan Tannehill? <laughs> if Derek Henry was in that bar, he would have trucked him. I bet I bet Mike Vrabel can put down a few beers. Oh, you know he can. He I'm surprised he wasn't at the Bushy McBush race. <laughs> uh, Andy Reid was. Was he really? And he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt too. But it's only right that he would. Um, I bet Mike Vrabel is the type of guy, Tom. He probably could walk into any bar in Nashville, and there's so many people there that. Maybe most folks don't recognize him, maybe a few, but he can walk in and he orders like a PBR, a bush light, drinks it down and just crushes the can. That's what I imagine. Uh, on his forehead. Right, on his forehead. like Almost like, uh, uh, you know, he, he's Triple H or something like, or Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, and, uh, and drinking beer or something. That's what I imagine Mike Vrabel being. In, in his... Other life, Mike Vrabel's a WWE wrestler for sure. Oh, 100%. He could be now. Can you imagine him and Gronk team up? Oh, I would pay to see that. I don't know what they would call him. I don't. I mean, that would be another Tom Fuller story in itself, but I would not be shocked. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I'm going down there, I'm not hanging out with Clay Travis. That's not my first choice. No? Um, <laughs> I like Clay. Are you going to – Take a trip from Nashville, go to Louisville to the KFC Yum Center. And, uh, and eat some Taco Bell and Papa John's and all that, you know? Sure. Why not? Right. Guess you can't find that anywhere else. Not at all. Um, I'll tell you what. I would love to, as an Oklahoma guy, Tom, you probably feel the same way. Uh, you know, I, I'd just love to meet Carrie Underwood. She's in Nashville. I mean... Yeah, I mean, oh, I I'm trying to think of the perfect Carrie Underwood song instead of Before He Cheats, Before I He mean, Shits, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, take the wheel, you know? I mean, yeah, like, uh, oh, what's the, well, she does that one with Miranda Lambert, oh, something bad. 
you know, I'd I'd take her to take her to dinner. You know, I mean, what 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 did I say a few weeks would you, ago? Would you, would you go to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk Rock and Roll Steakhouse? That's exactly where I'd take care of anyone. Yeah. I mean, what did I tell you a few weeks ago in the show? I have no problem hitting on married women because it's just practice. Let's, let's, yeah, there you go. I would as do it. As, as long as you don't get, a, as long as you don't get in a practice spot. If I met Carrie Underwood, I'd do a lot of practicing. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> right. Here you go. Let's, let's look. I'm, gonna, I'm interested in the website or in, in the menu from Kid Rock. Let's take a look real quick. There's got to be some gizzards on there, right? There's um, showing the beer menu here. I'm trying to see. Okay, cocktails. They got the Steve Drink, Lee's Key Lime Pie, Detroit Rock City Mule, Honky Tonk Tea, Sweet Southern Sugar. Nothing crazy. They got chicken wings, starters, chicken wings, ultimate nachos, chicken tenders, steakhouse chili, jumbo potato skins, chili cheese potato. This sounds a whole lot like a chili so far. Uh, Caesar house wedge salad from the grill. Okay, they got the fillet, eight ounce fillet, fourteen ounce ribeye, fourteen ounce New York strip. They got the thirty six ounce tomahawk ribeye. Okay, blue cheese crusted New York strip. No thanks. Char grilled half chicken, classic burger, cheeseburger, grilled barbecue, chicken club. They got a hot dog Jones. This is what I'd get if it was lunchtime. Giant hot dog. There's a description. Giant hot dog with chili jalapenos, diced red onions, called the big ass dog. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. And how much is it? Like nine bucks, probably. They they don't list the price on here, but they do put 18% will be added to parties of six or more. Um. Usually, if they don't put on the price, that's a bad sign. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like this is a. Okay, so I'm looking at the inside of it right now. It looks like if Buffalo Wild Wings, Chili's, and Eskimo Joe's had a threesome and had a kid. That's what it looks like. Terrible tables, some chairs they look like they got from Ikea. Don't get me wrong. I don't completely dislike Kid Rock. I'm, I'm not – wouldn't call myself a huge fan. I wouldn't call myself a hater, but this – I'm not going here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hard rock. It's essentially want to be hard rock, but kid rock. I mean, <laughs> it's the the cheap knockoff of hard uh, hard rock is kid rock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I wanted to do hard drugs and uh, you know feel like I was doing hard drugs in Detroit and Nashville, uh, you know, maybe I'll go. <laughs> the best thing that uh, that kid rock ever did with his career was uh, was marry Pam Anderson for a time being. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and then she realized how crazy he was and that had enough of that. Have you ever been in a NASCAR race that Kid Rock performed at? Uh, I have not. I'm surprised. I feel like he would be a maybe that's maybe that makes me I a think hater he on that. I've performed at some NASCAR races before, but I've not been in the same vicinity. He, yeah, I mean, I could see it. He's he's made for it. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. He has some classics. I mean, obviously, they played one of his songs before every Oklahoma State game. You know, I want to be a cowboy, baby. And they, what's another good? The ball with the ball to bang the bang. That's a solid one. Yeah. Um, 
Jones, there is another song he has. I will not even say it on this show, but it has to do with the make of a car and a cat. Um, so I'll let you look that up and maybe listen to it. Maybe we'll just change the show intro song to that. Yeah, maybe so. A Kid Rock song. Oh, gosh. Kid Rock, I uh, hope you're listening. Tell a friend or two and invite them to, to come on by, hang out with us here at the Jokes. We would love to have Kid Rock on the show. Wouldn't that be so? Oh, 100%. Yeah. We would, be, uh, we would be a pro Kid Rock podcast if he comes on this show. I wouldn't say we're anti-Kid Rock right. podcast. It just so happened that he has crazy fans that swing shit bags in his restaurant. Right. That's a different time. I mean, that's not a good. That's, that's not a good look. No, it's not. On that note, we will go. Big thanks to Jordan Foot for joining us, as well as Coach Bo, and uh, you, the listener, for hanging out with us as well. Strongly encourage you to check out this week's episode of Let's Go Racing with David Starr, as uh, we have Mario Andretti on. We mentioned at the top of the show. Certainly would encourage you to check that out if you get a chance to do so that show is available on apple spotify google Podcasts, and youtube this show of course is available on apple spotify and google Podcasts. subscribe to the show leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all and we'd certainly appreciate that you can also uh find us on social media facebook.com forward slash dollar jones live dollar jones media group twitter at dollar jones live at tj media group and uh thomas underscore bridges and then instagram jones underscore report dollar jones live and Insta Thomas, you can find us there. We will run. We'll see you right back here next week. Here on the Jones Sport for Thomas Bridges, Jordan Foote, Ryan O'Connor, our entire crew. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks a lot. It's been another edition of the Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.